Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 2, Issue 52 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. In 1996, former Microsoft employees Gabe Newell and Mike Harrington founded Valve Corporation. Employing a team plucked from the cream of the then-thriving Quake mod scene, they began work on a light-hearted horror FPS inspired by Stephen King's novel The Mist, known as Quiver, along with a darker, more cerebral title inspired by Cyan World's game Mist, Prospero. Somewhere into developing the two, teams merged, taking what they had learned from their projects up to that point, and built a single game from scratch. That game would be the epochal, echelon-defining Half-Life. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Tony Atkins. Hello. Darren Gargett. Hey. And Carl Moon. Hey, guys. So, uh, I know some of this stuff from the usual research, some of it from memory, and some of it from the Bible that is Raising the Bar, it came out at the time of Half-Life 2, uh, the hardback book that we all own a copy of, I think. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, it was 20 quid at the time. It now costs considerably more than that. Well, I'm never going to sell it. Let They can fight me for it if they want it. Yeah, never. I'm never going to sell mine. Never. It's... Is there a price? There's always a price. Half-Life 3. <laughs> <laughs> Too much of a higher price. You have to, like, have a uh, Valve have a book amnesty. You send well, your book back in and they release. When was the book released? 2004. Um, the foreword is written by Gabe Newell before the release of the game, mm. and the book came out a, a, almost exactly the same time as Half-Life 2, I think. So, yeah, part of, the, part of the hype building. That's probably why we all brought it. Yeah, and also I think I'd played Half-Life 2 by the time I bought the book. In fact, yeah, I definitely had. Uh, it was the last copy in the shop and it was a bit beat up and they actually let me have some money off it. Um, and now it's a minimum of 60 quid online up to anything like around 200 pounds. So it was a, it was a good purchase, but, um, more than that, it's a lovely book and it isn't just about Half-Life 2. It's also got the making of Half-Life. Uh, and the backstory of Valve really and, 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 uh, yeah, it's fascinating. So it's very useful. You can see, to start this conversation off, that uh, when Half-Life was in development, it was very much, uh, at first, when it was called Quiver, which is obviously a pun on, uh, it's a pun on two things, pun on the game Quake, obviously it was, Quake was popular, it was built in the Quake engine originally, and also the uh, the Mist from Stephen King's book, which is a massively Lovecraft-inspired book, of course, um, and you can see that in the game as well. We've we've talked about Lovecraft-inspired stuff before, but you can see these monsters and the final boss in particular, all very Lovecraftian, but the base in the Mist where the, uh, the creature's uh, entered the dimension from is the arrowhead base and obviously arrows are kept in a quiver so that's where that came from um, but you can see looking through the early designs of quiver it looked a lot like it was going to be like a Duke Nukem uh, 3D style game with comedy baddies and uh, you know sort of um, there's talk of like comedy sequences and 
it would have been there's definitely humor left in half-life and, and even half-life 2 but it i think it was going to be something a lot more light-hearted than than it turned out when the teams merged yeah the the enemy types in quiver or quiver sorry um uh, yeah like you said they're very comedy sort of styling like there's a woman here with massive tits with the words you know the cia the cia on her chest and yeah. you never really see them in in half-life no. you do see female um antagonists in the game but not, not like that. And then you've got, like, um, there are the, the, the normal Half-Life enemies in there, like, you know, the, the weird fishy shark thing. I don't, I, <laughs> the names are never the strong point with me with this game. I know Bull Squid, and that's about it. Hound Eye. Hound Eye with their strange noises. With the dog. But, yeah, it all seems very weird. And, um, I can't even call him Duke Nukem, then. Gordon Freeman himself. <laughs> he looks like a, he looks like a weird, I don't know, like a troll or something. He looks like he's got a massive, like a massive bushy beard. His, his HEV suit sort of yellow gold. And he just looks really short, like a dwarf or something. It's, oh. He was nicknamed Ivan the Space. Yeah, Ivan the Space Biker was. He was nicknamed in development at that point. But it's weird. You can see it changing as you go through the book from from that, and then you start seeing there's a there's an enemy that didn't make it in, but I think you could say inspired some of the stuff in Half Life Two called the uh, Mister Friendly, who's really fucking creepy. Um, and then you get to the Nihilanth, the, the the final boss, who although you know is a much maligned. Um, boss is is a, when you see it on paper, it's quite an unpleasant design, mm. and then you see it in the game. It's um, an unpleasant design. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, we don't always have all this insight into the making of a game. So, but thankfully, we have this book. Uh, but back to our normal sort of where we start in um, what's the word? Cana rinse. That's what we're called. It's been I've been away for weeks. <laughs> I've forgotten what we're doing. Uh, our our personal histories with the game. So let's start with. Tony. Um, I didn't play it on the PC, so its original release was in 1998. Um, I wasn't. I'm, I, I didn't have a PC back then, but I didn't know many people with a PC even capable of playing Half-Life back then. I, I knew some people playing Doom and stuff, but um, uh, I only had one friend which had a PC. Aww. Oh, uh, that was good enough to play <laughs> to play Half-Life, and there's a funny story around that. But um. Me myself, my first yeah, as I I couldn't afford it, or just you know, was more into my console game at that time. I had to wait and play it on the PlayStation Two. Many years later, it was about three years later. It was. Um, uh, Gearbox did did that version after having done various add-ons, which we'll talk about later. Yes. Yeah, so so you, you know you obviously later hear that, that that version was wasn't particularly good compared to the PC, but you know I had nothing to compare it to at the time. So you know what, what did I know? So I just played it on the PS Two, although. The Dreamcast version was something I was very, very interested in. But, it uh, exists. It's out there. Yes. It, it was finished, all but. Uh, also would have been, I think would have been released in 2001, but for the fact that the Dreamcast was all but dead. Yeah. So uh, I, th- I think I remember actually wait. Uh, pretty sure I was waiting for the Dreamcast version and then it died. And so I was like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> going to get on the PS2 or whatever. It's hard to know whether the Dreamcast version would have been any better than or worse than the PS2 yeah, version. I was believing the hype, though. You know, HD textures and, well... Up yeah, textures. So. It, it it was all but completed. The, you, I, I put a video of it up on uh, our Facebook page today. Um, the the most obvious difference comparing it to the original PC uh, Quake Engine Half Life is uh, the loading times uh, mm. weren't exactly brilliant on a PC even then. There were there's lots of pauses, but the they were horrendous on the Dreamcast version from the GD ROM. They were really slow and very frequent, and you were you were staring at a massive uh, orange bar slowly chugging up in the middle of the screen every few sort of corridors, which would have damaged the uh, 
the experience, the immersion somewhat. But on the plus side, it did support the Dreamcast mouse and keyboard, so you wouldn't have had to have played it with the with the old sort of Dreamcast yeah. pad. So, so what I will say is that obviously, you know, it, it took me three years to get get round to actually playing it, but the hype surrounding it between those years, between its release, original release on the PS3, the PS3, original release on the PC and hitting the PS2. Um, it become this poster child for you know the PC fan base, and you know the, I was desperate to get hold of a copy, but just mm. you know didn't have you know I was I mean eighteen when it originally came out, so money wasn't free flowing. Um, but I did I did witness the game uh, at a friend's house who had it running, and it, I was like, oh yeah, that, that looks pretty impressive, but you know never saw it more than twenty minutes, so kind of just mm. waited and bided bided my time. Did you enjoy it when you did get to play it on the PS2? Um. Without spoiling your, you know, summary at the end of the program. Like, like a lot of these games, I think that are, that have that much hype built over three years. I, I, I have to say, I was originally a little bit disappointed. Certainly mm. towards the back end of the game. Um, yeah. That you know, we can. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about many of the the fantastic aspects. But actually, my opinion hasn't really changed significantly. I don't think from playing mm. the first time round, all the way back in in 2001. Um, obviously, it's hard to necessarily remember that then, but. Yeah, I, I, I never, I understood the reasons it was being heralded as a classic, but you know the games industry maybe had moved on. To Three years a bit after we probably already had, a, uh, you know, the first wave of games that were massively yeah, inspired by Half Life. Yeah. yeah. So. Darren, you'd have been pretty young when Half Life came out. Uh, when did it come out? I remember. I remember. Twenty-eight. I, I remember the day very well. So fourteen. Yeah, I'd have been what fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. About the right age. Yeah, it know, would have been to to really get excited about it, possibly. <clears throat> And I remember playing. I remember this day very well. I was around my mate Kip's house. Also, his real name's Will. And uh, I was playing Duke Nukem 64. And he was mm. reading a magazine. And he Unfortunate. Said, <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Wasn't a bad version. Um, and he said, check out this game. He was reading PC Game or PC World and Half-Life. And it had that infamous screenshot of the, the soldiers on the wooden bridge, you know, descending from the helicopter with the... Mm, yeah. Sort of like the other helicopter firing missiles at you. And mm. I was like... Oh, that sounds that sounds pretty interesting, but didn't really give it a lot of thought because I hadn't really played PC games before. I played Doom and fo- uh, Football Manager, Championship Manager back then, wouldn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I was sort of like, yeah, okay, yeah, sounds great, yeah, and it just sort of brushed it off. But the 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 coverage never went away. It was like you should be paying attention to Half Life, and I was like, okay, I'll I'll, I'll you know I'll give it another another go. And uh, I, re- I read through some more articles. I was like, yeah, this is sounding pretty special, and. I played it around his house on the day it came out, and it was, it was like back then. It was just like I've never seen anything quite like this. I before I think I'd played GoldenEye, and I hadn't really experienced the the seamlessness of the world. Like you know, you enter in Black Mesa and you sort of you stay there, and it's like a, just a giant mess. Um, I've never really seen anything like it. Yeah, I was still in love with GoldenEye uh, at this point when it when it came out. So although I was I, I didn't have a PC to play at the time, um, GoldenEye was still very much sort of fulfilling my FPS needs. But um, but I did uh, crave a PC for the next two years. Anyway, we'll come back to my story. Carl, what what's what was your Half Life story? Mine was somewhat a mix of everyone else's. Really, um, I like yourself, Leon was heavily into GoldenEye. Uh, that that was certainly my uh, big shooter for the year, and I remember getting a catalogue through the post. It was actually the gameplay special reserve sort of pre-order sheets that you used to oh, yeah. get at the period that. of time, yeah. Um, and they would always have a paragraph or two 
a sort of preview for you to, to to buy stuff because obviously not everything was covered in the magazines by that point. Uh, and they highlighted two games coming out. One was Half Life, and the other one was Sin by Ritual. <laughs> and at the time, Sin was by far getting more press because it was more demanding. It was the way that things were going to go in. It, you know, it required mm. higher quality graphics. <laughs> and yeah, um, and as much as that interested me, I was sort of swung by the playing as a scientist in a more story-driven game that uh, Half-Life was being outlined as. After all, you know, we'd, we'd had Quake 2 and, you know, the following year we were going to have Quake 3 and Unreal Tournament. And I thought, well, I don't really need another sin. So I set aside and I said, right, this is going back to my parents. I want Half-Life for Christmas, if possible, <laughs> please. Um, we just inherited... Uh, well, we didn't inherit it. We just purchased one, uh, a Sound Blaster. Uh, I believe it was a Sound Blaster Two sound card, and the the Cambridge Audio Soundworks four one speakers that were doing the rounds. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm getting set now. I'm it's time to play me some uh, PC games." And I went down that route and got that as my Christmas present because I just fancied a game that uh, that was trying to do something a little different. Yeah, as I say, I couldn't afford a PC at the time um, that Half-Life was released. I was very much aware of everything that was going on in games, as as I have been for most of my adult life. I was 26 when Half-Life came out, um, but I was only earning about £4.50 an hour at the time. So uh, uh, back in those days, you were definitely looking at a grand to get a, a mm-hmm. decent PC. Um, so I had to wait until I got a pay rise a couple of years later before I got a PC and, and buying a PC was pretty much for me about playing Half-Life and the then contemporary championship managers. So champ manager 0, 2000, 2001 sort of era. Um, but Half-Life was one of the games that I picked up with my PC, I, which I bought like an idiot from Dixon's, but they did throw <laughs> when I, when I said, uh, I, and I want I want that game as well. While I'm here, um, the manager of the shop said, "Oh, you, yeah, we'll throw that in for you." So I got the, um, I think it was the game of the year edition. It had a, it was in a big box with a T-shirt, which I only, um, I still see some people wearing. And my mine only got thrown out a few years ago. My Half-Life T-shirt, as uh, finally the armpits went through and all that sort of thing. But um, yeah, so I played it. I was a little late to the party. I was very much into my Dreamcast at that point. Um, but, uh, obviously as with now, you know, you could get higher resolutions and frame rates on, on the PC and, um, yeah, I dived in and played it pretty much nonstop for a week or so until I finished it. And then I went on to the, the various expansions and I'm trying to think whether my, I think my game of the year might've had opposing force in the box. I'm not even sure, but, um, I believe it did. Yeah. That sounds right. Um, and later, Blue Shift came along uh, after, which was originally going to be exclusive content for the Dreamcast version, but then the Dreamcast version was was canned at the last minute. So Blue Shift came out for PC as an expansion, but actually better than the content was the fact that it came with a so-called HD texture pack, um, which actually upgraded the look of the game quite significantly for the time. Um it's hard to imagine now when you look at the HD version as it was. And even, in fact, I've just played the Source version, which came out in 2004, I think, or five, maybe around the time of Half-Life 2. Uh, that's the version I've played through for this show. And, you know, it it looks pretty dated. So, it, yeah, it's hard to imagine exactly how yeah. 
I went with the the original original version. Okay. Whatever, whatever version that is on Steam. With, with HD of... textures or not? Does it automatically update or? Uh, I honestly don't know. The, the reason I went, I I've had no internet for the last ten days. Yeah. Um. So it was it was the version that was on my uh, my Steam list. <laughs> um. So I it... desperately wanted to play Source. So I, was like, I well, didn't know you could not play Source. I thought you could only play Source on Steam. Far as I know, it's it's just yeah, they're two separate uh, launches. So I'm gonna guess right. you can definitely I mean, there, there play might the be standard some, one. Yeah, it might be some uh, jiggery pokery, but there's I hit a few buggy issues in there which okay. probably don't exist within the Steam. If it doesn't say source when you when you yeah, on the on your menu, it it's not the source. But, version, I mean, but... It, it looks I mean it looks like a game from you know 1998. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it. I mean, I don't I I can't remember because I wasn't heavily into PC stuff at all then. So. Um, was it a real in, you know, graphically intensive heavy game back then? Quite. I mean, it was Quake 2 engine, wasn't it? So, Or, no, Quake 1 engine. You know, the Quake way two. that people Quake go out engine. now. And, I can't uh, even remember. You know. um, but it was, yeah, it was It was not, um, the Quake engine was not, it, it was, yeah, it was, consi- I remember going around, put it this way, I remember going around to a mates who had a decent PC before I did to see Quake running, the original Quake. Mm. And it was, wow, you know, that that looks pretty cool. But I think... Um, there were probably games which were more demanding of your system. But that said, you know, when I got my PC in the year 2000, 2001, whenever it was, um, it was, uh, it would drop frames if I ran it at full spec kind of thing. So Mm. I suppose you could say, you know, this, by the way, I can remember my my PC at the time was an 800 hertz. So (laughs) less... Yeah, that was actually a really good machine um, in 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 that year, uh, and it had some kind of graphics card. I don't At least know. that's what the Dixon manager told you. Well, yeah, uh, but no, I did some research, and um, yeah, uh, but yes, it was it was graphically impressive. If not, it wasn't. You know, I, I don't remember it being like, oh my god. Actually, I do remember watching the uh, the infamous. Let's talk about it. The infamous opening sequence. Yes. Um, the 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 bit on the train where you. This is the likes of which we'd not seen before, and it leads into the game and and the way that Half Life perhaps changed the way stories are told in games, mm-hmm. uh, where it did it all in engine and all without taking control away from the player, all through first person view of Gordon's eyes, uh, and the scope and the size of the base and the fact that all this stuff was going on. Okay, it was all you know, you knew it was all scripted. It was a it was a kind of theatre, and there there was was a certain amount of smoke and mirrors, and there were loading breaks, but. There's this. I don't, how long is it? It's sort of. It's about five minutes long or something, isn't it? The opening sequence yeah. where you're you're being trained into the base uh, on a on a monorail, I should say. Yeah, it perfectly sets the um the tone for the the guy you're playing as, Gordon Freeman. It's just, it's just a guy going into work, and yeah, it, the the stage it takes you through it sort of gradually gets a bit worse, but not to the not to the extreme of the resonance cascade. So, like you know, it starts off and you know you just you're in your train and you see people going to work, and then you see like a big container of acid sort of like spilled on the floor, and you're like, well, should that be sort of like that? <laughs> like that's not right. And then you see big machinery moving things around and a big tube sort of swinging. You think, okay, like this is like this seems a bit it, for me anyway. Playing it recently, it seemed like maybe because I knew it was going to go, you know, the ship was going to hit the fan. Yeah. yeah. It sort of tells you without really telling you that things aren't going right today. And well, they're, they're constantly doing that. I mean, you have the you know the computers crashing with inside mm. the base. Um, just the scientists having nattering, you know, talking about how things aren't particularly forming right. But it's I mean, cinematics and an overused word all the time in gaming. But back then, 
we it's i mean i remember obviously playing games and the levels were basically just levels you you tend to have a key card or you'd be shooting people trying to get a key card just to get through the kind of the door into the next level select area I'm not saying that stories didn't exist in games you know they did um but the way that it introduced the player into this is just the environment um and you know there it's it seemed seamless um you know there there wasn't a cutscene it's all in game and it, it it just you know brilliantly because so, you have to put it in basis of at the time, but at the time it it was revolutionary. It it, it was, was you, you know you're in, within this environment and you are just playing this person and you know things are happening around you rather than just cutscene, you know telling you what's going on or just shoot somebody in the face to you know to progress through through stage. It it was it was a big deal and I remember seeing that for the first time and being you know blown away. Actually, just you know, wow! This is something I've never seen in gaming before. I don't think you can actually underplay the importance of the way that that opening scene happens no. because you could you know that every other games developer has watched that opening, sat back, sort of stroked the chin, and realised that you know this games are changing. This this is different to anything we've seen before, and it's good. So I, I mean, for me. I, I've always been really open on my feelings towards Half-Life. Um, and there are certain moments that in games that we can all recall on that we're fond of, brilliant gaming moments. There is no doubt whatsoever in my mind that for me, the entrance into Black Mesa as Gordon Freeman is the finest gaming moment I've ever experienced. That is that moment, that is where some people have linked changing into an adult in Ocarina of Time or, you know, Mario entering the 3D era. Um, this was the one where I can sit back and say, I love gaming. This this is what I 100% want to do. This is fantastic. And it that, that opening is just incredibly special to me. And that's literally on rails. Yeah. It's even it worse is. than the PS2 version um, because it takes movement away from you, so you can't run around the. the oh really? The, yeah. As far as I'm aware, anyway, like uh, my, my pad did break halfway through, so maybe that was a. a can you move your head? The point you can, of view. You, you can, but it's not the same. Like uh, no, because it, it, it just plonks you down, it cements you to the ground, and you're like, well, you know, like I want to sort of run, not run around, but like you know, explore this little train carriage and see what's going on, and I want to look behind me freely and stuff. So it feels more on rails even though it is actually on rails in the PS2 <laughs> yeah. version. And it was mm. sort of like, oh, like usually I like bunny hopping around and just spazzing out in this little train carriage. But um... These are actually, that, that sort of behaviour is some of the things that critics of the series use to, to stick to beat it with. The, this idea that Freeman behaves like a weirdo in a lot of situations. <laughs> I mean, the point is, I guess he doesn't have to. Some people also use the criticism that he doesn't have legs or feet in the engine. You can never see his... Uh, you you know, you look down and there's nothing there. There's not even a shadow. Um, he moves about a million miles an hour as well, which is obviously inherent to the, the Quake engine. And yeah. it doesn't quite fit with the vibe of the game. It's like really mm. slow intro, like, welcome to Black Mesa, the time is this, and you're 27 years old, which freaked me the fuck out recently. I was like... Oh, I'm older than Gordon Freeman now. Yeah, he's he's this highly qualified <laughs> MIT scientist. Yeah, and at 27, and I'm yeah. I'm working at Morrison's like a bitch. Oh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry, that, that was a bit of a revelation for me recently because I, you know, I hadn't played it for ages, and now he's suddenly younger than me, and that carries on through the Half-Life series because he gets 
putting into stasis. You're like, he's still 27 and he's done so much more than... I'd say, I'd say another thing as well that really sells that scene to me is the sounds. Um, oh, the sound throughout the game is... I, I think it's possibly the thing that's aged the best about it. Yeah, I mean, just, just the way that there's lots that are interactive. So, you know, you just, on the PC version, you go around pressing E and everything makes a, you know, a satisfying... Ah, ah. And it's not open. It was EAX as well, wasn't it? I believe it was yeah. the first uh, first major title to use the EAX but, um, sound drivers. Yeah, all the all the sounds and music in both Half Life and Half Life Two are by Kelly Bailey, uh, and uh, the music never particularly impressed me. It's okay. Um, I think the first time I played the game through, I was just using crappy supplied desktop speakers, which probably didn't do it any favors. But the sound design in in Half Life is fantastic although i think he totally smashes it with with the second game for me but it's it's the it's as the tram's moving through and you've got the doors open and shutting so like uh, 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 and you hear the locks kind of bolt open and the doors you know you know slowly uh you know come apart as you move through all that stuff sells you a, a sense of time and place as you're yeah. moving into that that's the whole thing about this intro because other than gordon freeman is an mit scientist we are told nothing about him um at all. We don't know anything about his personal status, his personality. We can tell sort of from the response of the security and the scientists that you're relatively well-liked and respected. But beyond that, we know nothing. So the, mm-hmm. the entire strength of the game and it is sold upon the believability of the world. It kind of makes me feel that the story that's in Half-Life itself was an afterthought. That's not to say it's bad. It's just that I found it wasn't really... Half-Life 2 does it as well where it tells you through gameplay, you know. And um, it sort of feels like they made a game and then they put they put the story around it at the end. Because I had to do a lot of research to find out whether, you know, the Vortigaunts were actually enslaved or not. And like, because games before that didn't really have stories like Doom and Quake and stuff mm. like that. They were just sort of like, here's a dude, fight. And you're like, right. And it sort of feels like Half-Life was the same race. So you think Freeman's Enigma is a product of Gaming of the Age rather than a mm. deliberate idea that's now spawned all these sort of theories that he's a christ-like figure and all that stuff which we will talk about as we go through the series this is where i think you know if you 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 start studying this game compared to today's stuff um and i think it was it's more of a case of um you know clearly the story was important to them because the whole game feels like it's a game that is driven by a narrative rather than just you know shooting people to move progress through the level so like clearly it's a major issue for them i just don't think they particularly told it very well um because you, i mean you have to remember as well you know this is real baby steps in, in kind of this game design then so you could say that they were one of the first ones to really attempt this so i just don't think they did a particularly good job at getting the story across um yeah like well, that it I, I don't know the, the story is a very simple one it, it is effectively the same as the story in stephen king's the mist which is that there is a research base in this case uh not overtly a military one but a research base nonetheless um and through their experiments they open up a gateway to a uh, an an alien a terrifying alien dimension like something out of an hp lovecraft book that that's all that's that is yeah so that that is your basic story but what we're talking about and what darren's talking about is the layers that have been put onto this story over the years Mm. uh, to maybe make it a bit more grander than than it actually was or what we actually remember it being so i just think you know in this case you know, they they wanted to go there with a story, but they didn't. You know, it is quite simple. And over the years, over the decade, <laughs> people will just keep you know adding more and more bits to it and kind of seeing what they want to see into it, rather than what they probably initially set out to do. There were plenty of games with interesting 
and or deep and or well-written stories oh, in gaming much. before this, yeah. but n- perhaps not in the genre of FPS and in an engine like the Quake engine. Yep. That's yep. that's the major point. So that is the story. Um, the setup is you famously, uh, you're late for work, you go to the lab um, via the changing rooms where you get into your HEV suit, which handily sort of doubles up as it gives you power and abilities basically and protection against the if you were just wearing your lab coat you'd be as much of a uh target <laughs> as soft a target as all the scientists maybe or maybe not because there are still suggestions although you know obviously this has been expanded upon about what freeman is what he represents who he is there are implications throughout the game that he is more than just another guy aren't there mm-hmm. uh, you know the i mean famous at the time and still famous the sightings of the the so-called g-man a guy in a in a suit with a tie with a briefcase you know he knows very much who you are he's kind of monitoring your progress at the end he gives you a choice to work with him or not um not really a choice though is it not really a choice (laughs) uh there are two endings (laughs) i suppose you could say um the fact that you can take the 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 basically the death ending it's cake or death isn't it yeah i'd i'd rather i'd I'd rather die than work for you um suggest that maybe freeman isn't this sort of uh supernatural superhero christ figure or whatever he is just for whatever reason a guy what do you guys remember and what do you feel now about how you know what freeman's role in the world is because he's clearly not just another scientist right is it just a comment on the agency of the player of video game or is it is there something is there a subtext beyond that i think after i finished the game and you you have your conversation with the uh the g-man uh the first thing that came to mind for me was that it was something along the lines of um the ending towards blade runner you're not necessarily who you think you are and mm. he's very aware of who you are mm. um and almost the path's been chosen for you you've always had the, the potential as you say you're very clearly not standard uh, scientist fodder. Um, the, there's certainly something a bit special about him, and that—that's immediately what I drew that towards was something along that path. Yeah, just the idea that there's there's a bigger story or a conspiracy, if you will, going on. Um, you are either whether you were grown in a lab or trained from birth, and you've had your memory wiped, or whether you are some sort of mystical interdimensional being yourself. There's more going on than you're just a guy who worked at MIT and you happen to be able to pick up all these weapons and use them instantly and fight your way through this t- ten-hour fight. I saw it more more simplistically. That I'm I'm pretty sure I was I saw it as Gabe you're making a, a jab at the industry. You know, even the nerds can you know beat the uprising right. here rather than just you know whatever Duke. Um, you know, yeah, a nerd can uh, be the savior of the planet. I mean, that's what I saw back then. Well, it can be both. It can be both of those things, I suppose. Yeah, it is interesting. I think. The, the, I mean, one of the other things about because the nature of the game is, it's uh, a lot. You know, it's famously got all these uh, scripted but in-engine set pieces where you know you walk around a corner and there'll be a scientist being yanked through a, an air vent mm-hmm. or, and countless moments like that, lift shafts and and so on. It's still a shooter where there's quite a lot of learning by experience, isn't there? There's quite a lot of dying and quick quick saving and quick loaning, which kind of undoes the idea. Maybe in a modern game, you wouldn't have Freeman quite so vulnerable. Maybe you'd have him, you know, in in the post. Uh, I don't know. If, I can't even remember if COD was the first one, but the games where you you know you take damage, it's not an energy bar, and you take cover to to regain damage. In this game, you're still this is pre oh, Halo. Yeah. this is pre yeah Halo pre Halo right so. 
when you take a lot of damage, you're basically there are some areas where there are things you can charge your health up from, particularly at the end of the game. But generally, you're looking for health but, packs. Well, see, see, I think this once again this this builds into what this was doing with its environmental stuff. So mm. there is no tutorials. Um, occasionally, yes, it will tell you. I, I believe like F for flashlight and and stuff like that. But a lot of it's just common sense. If you walk through, you know. a an area with a you know trip mine across it, you're more mm. than likely going to die, and guess what, you die. But beyond that, um, the great game design, and certainly way back then, is you know, the the um, placement of health uh, facilities on the walls. So it's not it's not just health packs flown. That's know, true. Yeah, just thrown the... around the ground. It's you walk up to a, a health station on the wall. You act, you press E. <laughs> in the case yeah, of the PC yeah, version. Yeah. Um, and you know it feels like they're limited health, like, though. Um, although is. you can return to them if you if you if you if you fill up your energy and you mm. don't need the whole lot. And there's shield. There's uh, HEV things as well, which make one of the best noises in the game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine that with a load of bass on it. Mm. Um, yeah, but. Yes, that's true. So that that was arguably something a bit different. Although you know, a year previously, Duke Nukem 3D, you could drink from smashed up bogs to regain your energy. So it wasn't so different to that in a way. There is a training mode in Half Life. Tony, there said, is. There's no tutorial. There is a there is a training mode, and it doesn't really it teaches you the basics like swim, climb ladder, the shitty Half Life ladders. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. and but what it does the most offensively to me is that it ruins all the atmosphere of the HEV suit. So when you get into Black Mesa in the story, yeah. it builds it up to, you know, you've got to go to your locker room to get the HEV suit and, you know, you press the button and the glass lid slides up and it's all, and the music kicks in and it's just so, it's... it's Atmospheric. Yeah. yeah. But in the training, it's like, there's your HEV suit over there. You're like, okay. And it's sort of floating in midair because it's sort of like, you know, it's a training level just cobbled together, I guess. And you just sort of run into it and you're like... All right, this is it then. This is the actually just bypass that playing it through this time. It's like no, I don't want to do no drive yeah, mission. I know how to play this. <laughs> there is one one reason to do it because I don't think uh, actually you do get the opportunity to practice it, but very late in the game you get one final ability, which is the crouch jump, mm. uh, which you get in the training level quite early on. Yeah, but I, I appreciate it even going back now because we have become uh, although. I think we've been through where the industry have kind of you know babysat us through every single game with uh, its tutorials, and I feel like we've moved through the other side of that, and it's all built within gameplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it feels like once again that maybe it was just a bit. It was well, it, I think it probably was ahead of its time, um, you know, letting the player decide what it needed, what he needed to do, playing the game. But without, I mean, yes, there's trial and error. Clearly, the first time, you know, there's loads of quick save moments where you're like, why the hell did I? Did I do that? I mean, that's stupid. But then you learn instantaneously. It's it's not a very complex game to really master in its gameplay mechanics. No, and apart from things like the the annoying uh, ladders, which are pretty much the same in in the Source version uh, as they were in the Quake Engine. So, so if that's like mine, it's you get to the top and you try to get off, and he doesn't yeah. really get off and comes back down to get, or then falls off the opposite direction you want to get off, thus yep. dying to your death. Yeah, right. or if you try to climb down a ladder from the top, it's easier to actually just throw yourself towards your death, but then grab the ladder halfway down <laughs> yeah. so you don't take an energy hit when you land. Yeah, uh, all a bit, all a bit funny that stuff. Um, but the, you know, playing through it again this week as I have, um, well, actually over the last sort of few weeks, um, fundamentally it all still plays perfectly well um the you know the shooting works it's not like janky shooting or anything like that a lot of the weapons are still fun to use some of them seem a bit uh, i think you commented tony about the shotgun feels like a is just really underpowered by today's standards <laughs> there's not much uh, feedback from it man but I mean, it was uh, underpowered by the standards then because you've got to remember it came on the back of 
you know, the legendary super shotguns and double barrel mm. shotguns across Doom and Quake, so it was probably supposed to be more more realistic, but like the SMG is still fun to fire, and you, I, I think I remember using that most of the way through the game last time and and this time. Darren had to remind me that I I had like alternative fire on a lot of the weapons, so like the shotgun, you can actually fire two two barrels, two yeah. barrels at once. But I'm saying yeah, that's that's a yeah. It never tells you that at any point. <laughs> I only remembered that quite late on. Um, but yeah, and again, it it demonstrates tropes of shooters of the time in that yeah. you start off with the fame the, the the famous crowbar, um, which you will use throughout the game for various uh, crate smashing activities, but then you get a little pistol, then you get a magnum, um, building up through shotguns and SMGs to rocket launchers, and then in the latter half of the game you get some more experimental and alien weapons, which were at the time uh, quite exciting. Um, but now I found the like the the gun that fires the little. Um, Actually, the 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 bee firing gun, the hornet firing gun, or whatever, yeah. is still quite useful. But the um, those little uh things, the Snarks. little yeah, like they were so cool at the time. You could yeah. throw them into. A, you know, we should remember as well that enemy AI in this game uh looks pretty comical now. But at the time, it was remarkable. Mm. You know, a, a soldiers taking cover and 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 stuff like this. Um, we need to explain where that comes in in the plot, I suppose. But um, those things are just completely useless and annoying now. <laughs> They're purely there for comedy value, but you never use them. Well, I didn't. No, I didn't. How many times did you throw them down and they come back and bite you? Exactly. Like, many. <laughs> Why are you going to do that? It's just it's just suicidal. Just use a grenade. And I mean, the the blast radius on a lot of the explosive weapons is enormous as well. Yeah. So you you, as I say, quick save and quick load in this game. Um, I was using it absolutely incessantly. Um, and it's not that. Uh, yeah, I would much rather this were, uh, you know, had the post-Halo system because Freeman dying, respawning, dying, respawning, dying, getting four inches further with four health, saving, dying, respawning. By the end of the game, I, I fought the entire of the final boss with four health. Ugh. You know, and this games of old that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the reason I bring it up is, is you know, in in terms of I'm I'm. I'm trying to, and I want to talk about this game both in terms of how incredible and sort of, yeah, ch- challenging and exciting it was at the time, and you know, so and and also from the point of view of of playing it now, um, sort of trying to understand, you know, just how things have moved on, and you know, the fact that a lot of the things that were completely gobsmacking then are quite ordinary now and the things that were quite acceptable in gameplay are quite unacceptable now yeah. um, and that's not to say you know i i'm not not getting too far ahead here but um that's not to say that it's a complete you know it's it's gone from being the best game ever to the worst game ever but there are things about it which you know haven't aged as elegantly as i hoped i guess i was it's um, a fascinating history le- lesson as long as you know that it was one of the pioneers of a lot of the things that got you know enveloped within games the games industry right away until the modern day so like if you're there and you understand that then it's great but some you know for i i don't know what somebody would feel like if they were coming to half-life as a brand new player um i was trying to get to hear from somebody or, or even somebody mm-hmm. who just played black mesa source and that was their first experience of half-life but unfortunately we we didn't hear from anyone um it would be interesting even now if anyone's listening who um has recently come to half-life and either played the first game or or black mesa source as as their first half life experience like well what's it like but um you know we can come back to that as we go through the series well i mean hopefully just talking about it you know people will be surprised at some of the stuff that maybe this did um invent's a weird word but you know this did bring to the game um you know another one which is 
you know, for me, it, it may be a bit story related, I guess, but um, it's the way that once again the environment seemed to be reacting a little bit to what you were doing. So you know, nothing major, but you'd have um the scientists around the facility, um you know talking about some of the current events that are happening within the game you know being surprised to see you and telling you about you know the forthcoming soldiers that will be emptying the base so all this stuff just keeps you you know in check within this place that you are there that you feel like you are working for a, for a facility and there's reasons for things happening as you progress through but there's also reactions to the stuff that have happened behind you i mean that's pretty revolutionary back then absolutely um, yeah, so the the plot in a nutshell, let's let's just cover that off. Um, is that uh, one? You know, you're you're going to work um, on this day. You're looking at this alien artifact, and uh, it opens this portal, as we mentioned, to a different dimension, which lets in all sorts of creatures. Um, you, as Gordon, uh, black out effectively, and when you come to uh, the whole place is in disarray. Uh, you and some other scientists have survived, and you're trying to. Get survive and get out is is really all you're after at this point. Um, the government are called in to help, but their idea of clearing up is to silence everyone who witnessed <laughs> this uh, gateway to another dimension, giving you another set of foes, humans. Um, and in the end, you hook up with your scientists, uh, scientist buddies, uh, who have figured out. I think they've figured out that to close the gate to another dimension you have to go to it's effectively it's like an interdimensional hub world mm. known as zen and uh kill this creature called the nihilanth who is sort of uh using his power to keep this gateway open for unknown reasons i suppose other than to enslave the human race for some reason again um, yeah. again but that that's 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 it in a nutshell and that's why you launched the the satellite halfway through the game is to sort of set this up so you can portal ah. into zen and kill the and this is why it annoys me that the game doesn't explicitly tell you no, the, the right. reason why you're launching the satellite it, i had to look at this online and like do research there's a, a great website called the half-life saga timeline or something just google mm. it and it goes through a big comprehensive list from one to the end of episode two of why things are happening to gordon freeman and why? Why was a resonance cascade happening? Because apparently, you know, theory says that um, G-Man he manipulated the crystal to make the resonance cascade happen, to let these, um, en- you know, these aliens into the world to start it all off. Which to, to test the- to test Freeman or to enslave the human race? Well, it doesn't really. No one really knows, but like that they say, like okay. G-Man orchestrated this to get the attention of the combine to get them to Earth to start off the events of Half-Life 2 and stuff and it's mm. all sort of it is conjecture and sort of that's retcon though isn't it because mm. I mean well it may be canon now but at the time none of this was no. true because there was no Half-Life 2 yeah that's right yeah but it's sort of it just bugged me why was I launching a massive missile into space and... I'd totally forgotten I did that it's actually quite a lengthy rigmarole getting up to that bit as I recall mm-hmm. mm, yeah you have to go as, as are lots of the sort of contained puzzles um the sort of um, archetypal section in Half-Life, divided up into chapters, as all the games are. Uh, you're in one sort of particular area, which, tend, you know, a big main area divided into sub-areas. There's normally some sort of environmental puzzle, which is divided into smaller sub-puzzles, and you will be hindered along the way by a combination of spawning interdimensional monsters, uh, enemy government soldiers, um some a little platforming often environmental traversal and environmental hazards such as radiation water electricity 
railway system, conveyor belts, uh, and often it involves getting to a number of external locations, flicking switches effectively, and then getting to a central area to complete that puzzle. So, for example, this is the area that I, every time I've been back to Half-Life 1, since I completed it back then until now, I always stop playing at the the big uh, plant-like tentacle creature in the tower <laughs> with its clanging claws. Yeah. Uh, that was, for me, the highlight. All the best bits of Half-Life were contained in the first sort of, I don't know, what. how long is that? About two hours in, maybe? Yeah, two, two and a half, something like mm. And um, I actually heard Jeff Gerstmann of the Giant Bombcast say exactly this, same thing the last week. I was like, oh, it's not just me then. But every time, I was always like, oh, Half-Life, so amazing. I'm going to play that again. And then I'd get to this bit with the big tentacle monster in the tower that you have to get to the top and torch and go, oh, can't be asked with that. And that was it. I put it down. So is that just me? or? Well, but that monster in itself is, you know, once again, remembering back at the time, that monster, um, you have to throw grenades. So it hears the sound of the grenade going off and doesn't target you. Hmm. And you move through the environment. Yeah, but the problem with it is that it seems like it, the moment that grenade goes off, its attention is it moved away from you. But within about nine hundreds of a millisecond, <laughs> its attention is back on you just as you move back through the door. Yeah, like, it's, it's an insta-death, yeah, pretty much. neat idea of a puzzle. And, you know, I remember even now, I'm like, oh, that's, that's actually still, yeah, like, that's yeah. still quite original. Um, yeah, quite annoying, like, so, Yeah, it's actually really annoying because um, I mean, at the first, you, you don't even know exactly where you're going because it's a, a maze system within there that you need to go to different levels of this tower That's to right. activate different pumps and you know the pumps filtration system. Or the, the system actually needs to fire the rocket, isn't it? Um, There's a lot of that to fire in... the afterburners onto it and, and ultimately kill the monster. But you you think, oh, I need to get to the bottom because I'm at the top, but you don't actually need to do that. You need nope. to go through the middle and you'll get killed 15 times doing that experiment. So, but um, no, I I. I I tend to agree with you. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I, I really like Half Life. Um, you know, and uh, but I feel like you. I, I think it starts to lose its way in the in. I wouldn't even say that's the second half of the game, is it? It's more like no, third. About quarter, quarter of the way through. <laughs> yeah, one third into the game, and I think yeah, it, it 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 starts to drift off. But I mean, that's for later stuff. But yeah, you're not the only one. That boss fight always it doesn't really put me off playing it but I always think oh fuck here we go because mm. I the, I like the intro to it we open the door and that scientist gets ripped through the window and you're like oh yeah, yeah. shit Great it, moment. it gets me yeah. every time but then I realise I've got to actually get past it and mm. like you say you have to throw the grenades to get its attention and then you have to crowbar the bits of wood off the door now Mm. If they'd have just left that doorway open, it would have been a bit more bearable because you could just sort of run through there. But you've got to hack away at this bit of wood, and it's up to <laughs> you're panicking and you're frustrated because you're Makes died a noise, few times. of course, to hack in the door away yeah. so it knows exactly where you are. And then, and then you're dead, and you're like, oh, bollocks. So it, it just feels like luck that you made it through there every time. Every time I've played it, even in Black Mesa Source, it felt like luck. They never really fixed it in Black Mesa Source. Um, mm, I, was, I was wondering about that. We will talk exclusively about that later, but I was mm. wondering about moments like that, perhaps the bits that haven't dated so well uh, is that one of the bits that they've not done much to or? yeah yeah. Black Mesa Source uh, we'll talk about it in a bit but it is a it's a mixed bag of oh this is amazing to oh they didn't do anything or it's just <laughs> not as good so it's weird hearing so many people talk almost negatively about this section because it's one of the bits of the game I most fondly remember um, when was the last time you played Half-Life I'm interested oh uh, 12 months ago all the way through would be twelve months ago. Mm. I mean, it, it, it's a game that I've completed 
in double figures. Um, I would guess maybe 12, 13 times. Um, mm. I, I say completed. I think we all know what moment I played up till. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. And that bit I always remember as coming to the end of like a major section. It was uh, a, a mini boss. Um, and it, it, the tension was built in that it was such an important thing to do that, as Darren said, you get nervous trying to hack the crowbar. Uh, you don't hack the crowbar, hack the wood away with the crowbar. And I found that a bit of a thrill, the progress in that section. And there were a few bits, the whole bit around that that part of the game, I, I enjoyed. Um, I, I guess that's just me. It's not unusual for me to like stuff that other people don't. But Yeah, I mean, it, it's. it's I, I remember playing it at the time and it certainly didn't stop me, you know, progressing. Um, even though I, I, even on playthrough one, I found it quite frustrating. But as I say, every time I've been back since, you know, or going all the way back to probably six months after I played it for the first time, that's been the point where I've I've not carried on. And I think this is the first time this last couple of weeks has been the first time I've played past that since. And um, that's interesting as well, because it's left me playing all these sections for the first time in 12, 11, 12 years. And finding that there's, although, you know, there's a, there's still a lot to see and do, and there's some cool moments. There's also a lot of what feels like sort of, it's a criticism that I hear a lot about Half-Life 2, which is a game that I've completed multiple times, whereas I haven't, as I say, with Half-Life 1, um, about the, the sort of the large expanses and the pacing and stuff. But yeah, I was quite sort of surprised by how sort of sparse some of the, the later sequences and, and just spread out some of Half-Life feels. And, and again, you know, I know games are, are still, and even perhaps more so then, were measured in terms of quality by the length of the experience they offered. But I think there's a lot of stuff in there that could have been condensed uh, to make it for a better experience. There's a lot of sort of identical areas, even though there are also lots of, um, you know, unique areas compared to other games of the time. I appreciate that, but you know, like the the alien type that comes in in the latter stage of the game, the um, grunt is just shit. It's just so rubbish. It, I'd forgotten those aliens were in it. Um, they were so unmemorable. The you know the big ones that fire the the hornets at you. They're oh, just yeah. completely crap. They they don't do anything. They're, they yeah, they're, yeah. Um, and and there's just by the end of the game there's just tons of them and and uh, but it's not as fun to play as something like Doom or Serious Sam at that point. The, the thing is, I I think um, the fact that it, it feels like there's a sense of time and place when you're actually playing the game, I think it's both a blessing and a curse because when it works, it really works. Um, but when it starts, I just think beyond that bit where you, we have the the sound monster, as I shall call him, um, I think maybe they get too ambitious with the game design so a lot of the signposting kind of goes out the window and you're left on occasions walking around in circles thinking I've tried every grate with my crowbar I've moved underwater I've been around this area five times and I can't see anything and eventually yes you do find that that one gap in the wall that you needed to go through and you could argue well you know that's you studying the environment and moving through but I you know look at game design now it I think it's progressed tremendously from you know have you seen that one pixel thing that you hadn't quite noticed you know the last 10 minutes of moving around and that happens time and time again and there's this large area as you move um 
kind of move from the complex you move in the out outdoor area and there's lots of kind of battles you have the the mercenaries and you've got that sound monster again that's outside and he's behind a, a, a rock face um, i remember having trouble with this area when i played on the ps2 i still had trouble this time and what it was was there's this small gap in the in the rock face wall yeah. that you need to crouch down and move I still wandered around there for like 10 minutes, not knowing where that... And I remember going, I did this in the PS2 version. How the hell am I still not knowing where this is? It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's more... It's probably more of, a, of a, an obvious contrast because early in the game, you, there is literal signposting, which again was something that was quite exciting at the time. You were in a science base and there were actually things on the wall telling you where to go, you know, like you're in a hospital, you know, follow this path to this department and, you know, this... And that was so cool. It's like, wow, you know, because of the increased resolution and of, of textures, you could have these things on the wall saying, you know, go here to get changed kind of thing. It's like, brilliant. But then later in the game, yeah, you're, you're hunting for obscure little sections in a large... And what now looks like it's quite indistinct fuzzy rock texture looking for a looking for a tiny little opening to get through but that said you know i mean valve have gone on to you know famously in 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 left for dead it's like you know always follow the light i'm sure these days we'd be drawn a lot more towards the 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 next place we're supposed to be and i and i actually think that um that compared to a lot of games at the time obviously this was one of the first that did this vast pseudo open world and I think there's actually a there is quite a lot of subtle signposting going on, but occasionally it falls down. Like you said. Yeah, I, I don't want people to say, you know, my negativity towards some of these bits is I know he doesn't like Half Life because I I do I generally think that some of the strides it made back then were just inspirational. I mean, they they changed the industry you know for the better in pretty much every sense. But going back to it now, I mean, those you know that stuff just jumps out even more. And you know, there's that's just one of many that I I kind of bang my head against running through it on, on this time and maybe it's because I wasn't playing the source version that some of those problems um, arisen but that that doesn't mean that there's you know for every one of those there isn't other, a dozen other great moments that mm. are better but just I think you know because it clicks so well in that first you know first third of the game that when you start but you know butting your head against the wall in the, in the, in the next two thirds it becomes a little bit more frustrating such as they it's got box jump. I mean, first person jumping. We talked about this on the Mirror's Edge show. Like, mm. it, it's hard to get right anyway. But um, you know, jumping on crates and, and you know, working your way through ventilation shafts is you know, it you know, it felt fantastic at the time. It it's still it's still good now. It feels like you're exploring the environment. But then they just kind of get a little bit carried away, and there's a big empty room with crates, which you know. For, they make no context within the gameplay itself, just like they're in the perfect, you know, this big hollow room, they're in the perfect height for you to jump from one to the other. And kind of like it's just feel, felt really game designy at that point rather than I'm, in, I'm within this environment. So, you know, like I said, that may be advanced criticism that shouldn't be leveled at, at the game, which, you know, did so much back then to change what the industry was, uh, which is a lot of just shooting. Are you talking about the. Um... The, bo- the green boxes that hang from the ceiling, and there's just a bottomless pit below. And you're like, why? Why does this even exist in the Black Mesa facility? Like, there's no reason for them to be, you know, a death hole with crates above it, other than for Gordon Freeman to jump along it. And I don't know if they've changed it for the Source version. I'd assume so because of the Source engine physics. But do those boxes swing to make it that little bit much more harder for you? Like, you jump on it and not on the original, no. I think in Source, it immerses you, well, immerses, it tries to immerse you by making them swing a little bit, but all it does is just make you think, 
well, great, and now I'm going to fall off more because the box is now swinging. <laughs> it just makes a shit version even worse. Um, a shit part of the game, sorry, even worse. And again, those moments really stand out because there's so much logic to the maps, the layouts, the rooms mm. inside Black Mesa mm-hmm. that when that's left behind, although there are some... You know, I remember the first time you go outside playing the first time it's like wow look at that you can see flying from... overhead yeah. yeah it was it was astounding you could see for miles um it it was like you know looking down at the canyon floor was like whoa look at that and sense of vertigo and all that and unfortunately now that's the impact is completely non-existent yeah i, I still quite enjoyed that bit though like when you're crawling out of the tube maybe that's nostalgia kicking in but it's the, the little touches that they do with the the little tiny bits of rock that fall off the edge obviously they're just spawning out of nowhere and it's it's all there just for smoke and mirrors but when you do crawl near the edge and little bits of like rubble fall away like it mm. does really help you it, it pulls you in and think god yeah you know i can fall off and slip off and die and stuff like that certainly can if you there's the option to uh, i always forget to use it but you can either run or walk in this can't you yeah, but I'd never really do it. No, I've run on the whole time, I think, yeah. which means that you, yeah, sometimes that it's it's probably a good idea to moderate your movement, especially as you're using keys which are, you know, digital on or off. That probably cost me a few deaths not toggling the walk command on. <laughs> and I've totally forgotten how to play Half-Life normally because I I know how that engine works and there's, there's a bit near the start of the game where you pull a, you press a button and an elevator goes down to the bottom and you know you progress through there it's quite a big elevator and when you're going down head crabs are spawning from the top and that you know you fight them as you go down it's quite a gamey thing to do you know survive this wave of uh, head crabs we get to the bottom but what you can do you can sort of crouch jump you know the duck jump you've got you can sort of do that and you can hit this sort of 45 degree angle and you can surf down it so fast <laughs> and you can bounce off the floor and survive and you're just like <laughs> yeah i don't know how to play half-life properly anymore do you know what i mean i just sort of because i played Half-Life Deathmatch, you get used to bunny hopping around the world and jumping off of banisters that you shouldn't really be jumping off. And I've sort of ruined the game for myself because I do, like, when I'm outside on the cliff edge now, I'm just sort of just jumping around like a maniac. Uh, It's an engine with so many interesting little quirks that aren't necessarily right, but in the online sense, they spawn some of the more interesting things. Like you mentioned, you got your your Half-Life Deathmatch where you could do certain things, and then there were like uh, Counter-Strike maps, which would just be surf maps, which would be a case <laughs> where you would just jump and hit stuff at 45 degrees and fly and just try and glide all the way down. And, Tribes. <laughs> yeah, and, and some of that stuff just ended up being brilliant. Um, and it, it's weird discovering them in the, in the single-player aspect of things because you're like, oh, that, that's kind of odd, kind of funny. And then you play it online, you're like, that is excellent. Even if you know it wasn't intentional, I do like the um. It, we do sound like we're quite negative on the whole Half-Life experience post the the you know the claw tentacle boss, but I do like the um the blast door sections where you know you have to sort of you 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 accidentally trip the uh, the turret guns with the red laser beams, and then like mm. shit just kicks off. Like oh, I've tripped the thing, the gun's shooting at me. I've thrown a grenade out of panicking. It's blasted the the the, the glass off the panel, and now the blast door's closing on me. Like. You know, that's quite exciting because you know you've got soldiers behind you ready to pump a grenade at you. They boom, the grenade, the sound. As soon as mm. you hear that, you know you're dead. There's lots and- of little cool little bits like that. Um, and again, perhaps it's easy to take some of this stuff for granted now. But um, just, yeah, like moments when you're sneaking in, cr- crouching under laser beams and then mm. working out where the turrets are in a room and then taking them out. And uh, yeah, it's... 
I think there's a lot of stuff which, uh, again, just to you know keep banging this point home, but stuff that Valve did here that hadn't been attempted before, mm-hmm. and that but stuff that we do take for granted now. There's one scene that always surprises me in the good sense where you, you're like running through this pipe and it sort of falls away from underneath you. Mm. And the sense of inertia you get from Gordon Freeman falling down onto the deck is... I've never really experienced it in another game and it catches me off guard every time. I'm like, oh yeah, shit, like that actually happens. And the bit where the... um, It's all scripted, obviously. There, there, there's a, You're crawling for another tunnel as you're doing Half-Life games. You seem to be crawling Bullets, yeah. Sequence. Yeah, the bullets coming through. That's a and great set piece. He opens the hatch and he throws the, the firebomb in there and you have yeah. to duck in the water, which they got rid of in Black Mesa Source. I don't know why they oh. did that. But yeah, it was like, here it comes. Oh, no. Yeah, I'd forgotten that bit. I remember the bit where you're crawling along the pipe and the and the shards of light start appearing yeah. um, from the bullets. That That is a fantastic mm. moment. And yeah, I'd totally forgotten the firebomb moment, but I still managed to survive that. But again, that is another moment that, while cool, you could say, well, actually, it's a bit of a shitty sort of almost insta-death scenario. But I suppose yeah. if you're not engaging your survival into enough to go backwards very fast then perhaps you've only yourself to blame um yeah the the thing about falling that that pipe section is memorable and i think i think the thing is by that stage you've been trained that often when you drop down places whether you drop down a hatch or you fall you know you climb from some venting into a room there's often danger beneath you whether it be mm. zombies with head head crabs on their faces or whether it be electrified water um you definitely don't want to be plunged into a room that you haven't scoped out already I always enjoyed, and this plays along the pipe thing and the dropping, was the implementation of a verticality into the game. Uh, mm-hmm. In that, you know, as Leon said, there's, there tends to be danger below you, and you know you're always and often up, above as well. Often as above, exactly when you're looking up, and especially the limpets, barnacles. Yep, and <laughs> they could be a nightmare. And it was by the, by this time, Quake Two was obviously established as the quote unquote classic uh, FPS on PC and. We'd had Quake 1 and Doom, and although the Quake games had allowed you the ability to look around, they were still quite flat. You never felt like you were ever exploring the sing well, certainly not the single-player game, up on down. Um, and Half-Life perhaps did it in a way that you wouldn't expect a game like Half-Life 2, and you you were never quite sure if you were going up or down, and as you mentioned, the section with the technically you, you don't go down to the bottom, it's the middle, and there was always an element of exploration and it's quite interesting when you consider that this was Valve's first major release and mm-hmm. um, there's certain traits that even going back to it now and I mean, I mean you've got to take into consideration the game's the same age as an unruly teenager and you can see stuff then that they're implementing now um, obviously they've, they've learned and with as technology's advanced the ability to do stuff has improved but like the the exploring the rocks as uh, i think leon mentioned the fact that uh, there was a pseudo exploration towards the environments and the, you know you can say oh we've seen this done in something like left for dead 2 or you know this has been done in portal you mentioned you know you're crouching under turrets and stuff and i'm immediately thinking oh turrets you know um it, it, it's quite sadly, interesting don't talk. and this yeah sadly um and Valve were obviously very behind setting a different way into gaming. We can't forget that Half-Life actually shipped with Worldcraft, the level designer, for making mods and levels on the disc, and actually pub- actually advertised this on the back of the plastic case. 
and it, and it was a very solid level editor. I mean, obviously, they improved it with Hammer, which later came for the Source engine. And I personally preferred QRAD for Quake Three, but um, the, the the fact that they were there pushing it, albeit with just having to use a a difficult to read help guide, um, certainly shows that they were always open to you know we've done this. You know, things like this aren't getting done in other games, but, you know, with this, you, you we want to see what you can do. And it's certainly a system we've seen with Valve and Steam and the way that they push stuff out now that they were doing then. And it's kind of nice. You can almost put it in a timeline to see how things have advanced and improved under them. I think that, like, a closer modern day parallel for people that don't remember this first being released now is when Halo first hit. You know, this start what would seem at least startup company comes in and kind of shakes up the whole genre, uh, or certainly did on the on the consoles. You know, brings brings something fresh and new to the the table. And I think yeah, it's a pretty good, pretty decent parallel to Half Life and the, and what and what Halo did as well. It's hard to imagine. Obviously, you know, um, GoldenEye came out in '97 and revolutionised the console FPS and some aspects of the FPS. Uh, Quake was before that, and then Half-Life in 98, and then Halo in 2001. Um, they'll probably, you know, th- this was a genre that was only seriously born in the early 90s. It did exist way back before that, the first-person shooter. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But, mm-hmm. you know, Wolfenstein 3D and Doom were the games where it, it really started to become a thing. Um, and so, yes, it was between five and ten years after the the birth of the the contemporary version of the genre that it really started to change. And then, we, you know, we're probably never going to see another time like that because so much of the genre is established. There, there comes a point where, you, you know, it's you can't revolutionise anymore without making it something completely else. Um, obviously, Call of Duty added the uh, the, the, the now bog-standard uh, multiplayer development system. But other than that, you know, we haven't seen too many fundamental changes. It's it's now very much. You would have to say it was a pretty incredible five years from '97 through to 2002. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but of course, you know, those games were so good and so exciting, and they generated so many, you know, fantastic games. And you know, there are still great first-person games. But the law of diminishing returns states that you know there there, there does come a point where they, you know, this these things become less exciting. You can. You know, you can see it with older genres that it had existed up to that point. That um, you know, which is why you know, first-person shooters, the technology allowed them to become a thing, and so they became a thing. But yes, it was Valve that certainly took it ahead in terms of um, as a medium to tell or a genre to tell a story in. So let us uh, talk about Zen before we talk a little about uh, some of the expansions and mods and Black Mesa Source. Uh, so. Once you've fought your way through the base and found uh, your scientist colleagues, uh, you, through one last uh, area-spanning contrived puzzle... uh, Oh, oh God, and then there's the climbing and the teleports. Mm -hmm. That is... That part of the game... From then and then on, that game is, like, my my worst game in the world. (laughs) Because you step into this sort of, like, a a familiar-looking place, science labby area... And, you know, you've, you've been fighting things non-stop, you know, outside by a dam where you have to swim underneath it and you get spat out the other side and you're crawling through more machinery. You end up in this place and they're telling you to fill up these two parts of the science lab with water. I think I'm right in saying that. Mm-hmm. And I, it's one of these areas yeah. that yeah, it always gets me. And it's like, 
right, what do I do? At least <laughs> no. you've got signposts again in this area, like yeah. stuff on the walls telling you where to go and big green lights saying when, when you've done things, which uh, mm. I did find useful. But it's just the actual act of doing them themselves are mm. not very fun and you end up going up a series of ladders. Uh, the ladders are always going to be a bugbear of mine. And these laser beams are sort of jabbing at you and it's all kicking off. And then you have to use this sort of this weird teleport system. Spinning on, platforms. On the spinning platforms. Now, no. I, it, it makes you remember. Now, I, I don't have a problem with reminding myself that I'm playing a video game, but when you're pulled into a world so much as, as Black Mesa... You know, in New Mexico, is like you're like this is amazing, and then all of a sudden you you're having to look around for these spinning platforms. It just reminds you of, you know, the, an arcade game like a Super Mario game or something. It's... So the idea is that you need to teleport, not only teleport uh, through the right door because maybe there's like one, two, and three, and each one of those doors will either take you in the right direction or the wrong direction to your death. Um, <laughs> as you're doing it, you have to land on the spinny platform thing. So you need to teleport just at the right time once you figure out the right mm. door and land on the platform and then do that. I think two more times on your way up. So yeah, there's a couple safe. of. It's worth going through the wrong numbered doors because there's a couple of rooms full of supplies. Yeah. But then you inevitably use all that up pretty soon after you get into Zen anyway. So yeah, it's not really worth um, seeking that out necessarily. Yeah, it's really, I, I t- again totally blank that section from my mind. Um, I think that's why a lot of people really, myself included. I admit this, like, this is why a lot of people love Half-Life, because the scripted events in the game are so memorable, like the helicopter on the side of the, the cliff face, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the on a rail section where you have to start up the, the little cart that ends, you know, you end up on a train track. There's a big sort of gargantuan uh, with two massive jets for fists that sort mm. of blows you. Like, those bits are cool because they're, they're scripted and they stick in your mind, but then these things happen and you just sort of erase them. The one bit that isn't very good that everyone remembers, though, is the bit after that, right? (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. So the whole final section takes place in this interdimensional hub world uh, that you apparently have set up uh, the ability to go to via a satellite. I'm not sure how that makes sense, but uh, I haven't read read my um, backstory. Uh, Anyway, you end up there, and suddenly, from a corridor real world type based uh horror adventure adventure action shooter you're in a sort of free floating platform world space world space world <laughs> uh yeah as i say again very very lovecraftian but um but without the i mean the horror here is not the fear of being there it's the horror of having to do this ridiculous floaty so the gravity's lower here so uh there's in you're making these enormous jumps and and actually going into zen i thought okay well this time i've been prepared for how crap zen is by years of remembering it and people saying oh god remember zen at the end of half-life that game really jumps the shark at that point and uh and the fact that I had been slightly disappointed by large chunks of the game compared to my memories of it up to that point. Anyway, I thought, oh, perhaps I won't find it that bad this time. Arrived there, did the first few jumps. I remember, oh, I remember this bit. Okay, this isn't so bad. You just do these enormous crouch jumps from mm. platform to platform. The platforms are pretty large at this stage, um, but then it just gets worse and worse and worse. You end up on the climbing on these tiny little floating rocks to be transported up into a into a 
teleport thing that if you exit if you're standing at the wrong angle you can't get into it because there's a bar in the way and then you fall all the way back down um there's layers and layers of vortigaunts firing electric at you in rooms where there's no cover um there's loads and loads of alien grunts in these tanks which are quite hard to avoid shooting in your sort of general business um you know oh there's the fucking flying brain babies that come down from the sky there's enemies that respawn when you get one level up from a level you just thought you cleared out uh signposting goes to shit um it's just overwhelming so all in all you really enjoyed it then leon yeah yeah it's it it any any of us disagree i like i like (laughs) the bit before that okay where they're charging up the portal system for you to jump into zen uh Mm -hmm. you're treated you're rewarded with a whole Oh, just a massive lot of guns and everything. Just like, right, I'm suiting up. This yeah, is yeah. going to go. Yeah. This is going to kick off. And the you know, the the horde mode type thing there is quite exciting because you don't really know what's on the other side the first time you play it. Mm-hmm. And you you sort of see glimpses of what what to expect because those weird brain Duke Nukem baby things like they look like something out of Duke Nukem, mm. which, is, which is weird. Um, they come through and they start firing the bolts at you, like the the green energy balls, and you're like, oh. This is cool. I can kill him in one hit with my crowbar, uh, crowbar, crossbow. You're like, boom, right, they're dead. And then you, you, you do the long jump into the portal. And initially, I still remember this. You, you look around, and you think, hey, this sound, this sounds good. Like, I like the sound of Zen. It sounds quite. Oh yeah, it's 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 and... a striking moment when you first mm. arrive there. You can totally see what Valve were trying to do. That like, oh shit, we're not in Kansas anymore. You know, like mm. this, everything you know is wrong. Um, the atmosphere changes, the environment changes, but then. Then you actually try to play it, yeah. I think they could have alleviated the the stress of that world by having no fall damage. I I've fallen off. You do fall off into space a lot, and you mm. know that's that happens. But I I remember dying a lot from these little shafts, like these little pillars that push you up into the air. Yeah. Yep. And then you have to land on platforms below, and I just died over and over and over again because of the the fall damage. They then randomly be, on the last boss, there was no fall damage. They just could have made the you the player have a bit more of a fun time. Bouncing around Zen by mm. just just by you know fine tuning a little bit, and maybe they needed to get it out for some reason, and they couldn't you know totally polish Zen, but we don't know. I don't necessarily think Valve will want to rush things out, Darren. <laughs> Valve of today, no, but back then, yeah, I think there might be some sort of pressure. Yeah, to I mean, the, the, the game they were pushed X. by Sierra at the time, um, so I'm yeah. I'm sure there were deadlines to meet, but I'm sure I speak for thousands, if not, you know. More than that, when I say it's potentially the most underwhelming end game to any video game ever, um, it's pretty atrocious. I, for the longest time, I had issues with organic worlds and environments um, in that period of time. Anyway, there were so many games that would get them wrong. I think maybe the the, the first one I ever remember sort of nailing it for me was something like Aliens vs Predator where I didn't have a problem navigating it but in something like Zen where you've come from somewhere so strong and memorable and looking back on it now iconic as Black Mesa to a world where you know things have changed and you've got the the, it's those push pillars and the fall damage that you mentioned Darren Um, they were so ill placed um, and and poorly designed that it just completely ruined it for me and as i mentioned earlier i've um completed the game uh, you know perhaps a dozen times and i've actually only played through to the end of zen once 
yeah. <laughs> because that's how bad Zen is compared to the rest of the game. The rest of the game, you know, it, it has its... I, I don't want to say highs and lows. It has its highs and midpoints because it, it it's exceptional at what it does. But then you get to Zen and it's just like... it's almost like it's imported from a completely different video game that's just nowhere near, not made with the same quality of team or design overview. It, it's utterly bizarre and sadly memorable for being bad. Yeah, I think they probably underestimated how long it would have taken them to make, to to you know, to be so ambitious as to make a section that was so completely different to the rest of the game, to make it of the same standard. It wasn't just a case of more corridors and more puzzles involving pistons and you know uh stopcocks and stuff and switches it was like okay you know everything's different here um i think it just for me it just falls over the same old tropes which you know up until game at that point was you know it was almost seemed to be in every game which was just make the end as hard as possible you know this is your reward for for getting there which is like darren said suit up here's all the weapons now go have fun and kill everything because you know you're at the height of your abilities. The the problem I had was that your health just doesn't last. Mm. Um, you know, I think if you had the ability, not necessarily to, to take cover or, to, or just just to get out the line of fire for like twenty seconds and not <laughs> fear that you know that you know, if, if my next quick save it had to be my next quick save, I had to get the jump right. If I didn't, it'll be back. And you know, to to finish an end of a game that is like Carl said, so iconic. <laughs> and to finish it just literally seeing quick save screens over and over again as you work your way up through the environment and then to come up against an end boss which I, I don't know if it was underwhelming I I, I kind of like the idea which they were going like that brain opening up and the big glowy thing inside or this time I kind of got myself glitched as I went up and kind of got myself glitched to the side of him so I just shot him until it opened up yeah it's still it not very weird. apparent it's still not very obvious where you're supposed to be shooting him oh don't forget Crystals. by the way the, yeah. the, uh, the sub boss which is a a bollock hanging from a spider. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that's sort of. I remember playing this like with, with my mate Wilkip, and uh, we just started cracking up because you know I will now just laugh at that thing as just a massive testicle boss. Which which is exactly what it was supposed to be. So they're, 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 it's not like oh they made a boss that looks like a, a bollock by mistake. No, it's actually it's called the Gonark. It's a, it's yeah. it's a spider with a bollock <laughs> hanging off it. It's it's meant to be the head crab at its most sort of evolved form. Like mm-hmm. okay. it's a head crab that's gone through all the stages of life, and now this is a giant. And it head throws those little fuckers at you. Those little fucking <laughs> oh Jesus, fuck off! It's it's more imposing, but it's less scary than head crabs. Although I wanted to say actually, talking about the the game as a whole, it was meant to be a you know a horror a horror game, a horror sci-fi game. Um, and I remember at the time it being quite a tense experience, especially crawling through vents and headcrabs and all that. And Half-Life 2 I played through much more recently and, and I still find uh, sections of that, obviously uh, Ravenholm, pretty frightening. Um, there is no horror left in this game whatsoever. I, I just didn't find it in any way tense or scary, which is a feeling that I had quite strongly the first time. Not, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we're not talking system shock or dead space levels, but you're talking a general sense of fear and atmosphere. But this playthrough, it just, it it was so disappointing that it it all, that had just dried up for me. And I, I wonder if it's there in Black Mesa Source, but. I mean, Darren, you've played Black Mesa Source to the end. I've played about three hours, I think. Um, Almost directly after finishing Half-Life, so. Knew exactly where I was going. It made it quite a different experience. 
But um, I mean, I, I I know you've got slightly mixed feelings on Black Mesa Source, but I I found it a really liberating experience after playing um, Half Life, you know, for whatever twelve hours it, it may have been. Oh, um, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, when I say I got mixed feelings, I sort of like the things that I didn't find in Half Life that much fun because I've, I've replayed Half Life Source and Black Mesa Source recently because uh, I'm just I just I'm a fanboy for Valve. Basically, I'll do it again and again and again. But there are things in Half Life Source that I didn't like. And I wish that they'd fixed in Black Mesa Source because they've changed a lot in Black Mesa Source to improve the game. For people that don't know what Black Mesa Source is, it's probably quite good to, to yeah, just tell them where it's, uh, its origins are from. <laughs> it's a group of um, fans, basically from England, from what I can guess. That are, I know they've outsourced to a lot of other people. I know Ryan Ashley said he had a friend who worked who worked on it for a brief period, so they've had you know volunteers come in yeah. and do art assets and sound assets. But I think primarily the game's set. Uh, was made, not set. The game was made in the UK because there's references in Black Mesa Source, like the Chuckle Brothers and the Walker's Crisps and other just UK-based things that just think, yeah, these guys are English who've made this. Um, but yeah, it's um, it is a fantastic mod. It's it's free, and Valve sanction it and say, you know, we, we allowed a lot of companies stop these kind of cease and desist. They're called that, you know, like. A, a guy or a group of people try to make something that they love, like GoldenEye, in today's engines, and they get shut down by companies because of lawsuits and stuff. Whereas Valve just say, you know what, this is great. Uh, you can do this because if it, if it's poo, if it's poo, then you know it doesn't matter because we didn't make it. If it's great, then it only helps. It only strengthens our brand. Yeah, as long as no one's so, making any money from it. Yeah, that's fine. it, and it's all free. And Valve, have, have, you know, put it on green light, and it will be an actual Steam game for free soon that you can just click on install. So what I will say, it it looks stunning. I mean, it's it's probably, I mean, if Half Life Two quality, if not better, um, they've used. I, a lot, I think it's better than yeah. Half Life Two. They, they've used a, yeah a lot more modern effects. There's like the HDR effects and stuff like that. It's, you know, Steam and and, st- and whatnot. So it looks stunning, but. The reason I bring it into this point is because you talk about the theory has kind of been taken away through you know, mm. the years of of uh, it's a combination of, of factors. Stuff. Yeah. So, so although it follows the same structure of of Half Life, so you know, a lot of those elements which happen are still in there. So, like people being pulled through vents and stuff are exactly the same. But because of the updated graphics and um, they've added more audio clips and stuff. They feel that much more impactful. So, mm. you know, because I'd played through it you know, almost back to back, I remember being, yeah, that, that's almost comical. But when you play through it on Black Mesa, it's actually relatively scary cool. um, and quite tense. So you're, you're moving through and there's, there's you know, particle effects and lights that, that are flashing and breaking and um, electricity, you know, things bursting around the rooms. And it's a, it's a lot more atmospheric. But the same game, essentially the same game, mm. is hidden beneath all that stuff. So... What doesn't necessarily work now in playing the 1998 version of Half-Life, actually given a, a lick of paint, a, more, a lot more audio, um, mm. and a little t- a, f- a few tweaks on the gameplay, so Gordon doesn't move quite as fast. He's got this more of a head tilt um, thing going on, which isn't in the original Half-Life. Yeah. It's on a different engine, isn't it? So, um, It's in Source, isn't it? Hence yeah, it's on Source, but I think they, they've even added a, f- a few more bits that weren't even in Half-Life 2. Yeah, Source um, is a modular engine, isn't it? So it could could have all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, it, it just it, it sells what the original Half-Life was trying to do back in 1998. And it, right. it does a, a thoroughly good job of it. And Half-Life did back in 98, and, and I don't want to say that it didn't. Um, it's just that, you know, even not being, you know, some kind of graphics whore, the fact is that aged graphics, especially aged 3D graphics, 
do tend to lose some of their power you know the just even this is the you know the source version i'm playing is from 2004 which already looked a little aged in 2004 um but it's just it's, it's partly you know uh exposure to that game that world and and, and stuff so obviously the the uh, impact is lessened just by that even you know if you play through dead space uh six times even you know that becomes less scary it's partly that but it is partly the 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 sort of aging of the graphics and the audio and yeah there's no there's no point in denying it but it, it's a double-edged oh sorry it it is a double-edged sword in this case because in in some respects you you see then okay what what is half-life now in context of a modern day because they've added this modern layer over the top of it seeing so like okay but it's it kind of works for and against it because then you you go back to the original half like like wow all this stuff has now been stripped out to it's it's almost like it's it's bare wireframe core um, and they they have done one or two little adjustments to gameplay I think Darren you, you were saying that there is one or two sections they've snipped or altered or like the path you know paths have changed slightly because they they didn't make sense within a new engine yeah there's, there's quite a bit of um especially in the mid game there's quite a bit of alteration you know. In the original Half-Life, there's a big sort of gargantuan chasing you through a car parking like lot, and you have to you break outside and you have to drop a, like an airstrike on it using this horrible system of like Half-Life buttons never really work for me. You press them and they go one way, and then you press them again and it goes back on itself. It's it's, it's a bit of a weird mechanic, but here they've got like a live screen that you can sort of click on and move a little cursor around. It's like having a little iPad or something. And you can literally, in real time, you see the gargantuan running around the field. And as he comes up, because you're on like a podium, like a tall sort of, well, not a podium, you're on like a big tall tower. He'll start shaking it and he'll start like making you wobble a little bit. And you're like, you're trying to use this iPad style device to drop an airstrike on him. But because he's shaking it, it's sort of putting you off a little bit. And it's like, oh, it's quite exciting. And I actually, I, th- I thought that, uh, stood up in the in the source version that particular section. I thought that was still a really cool, clever idea. So it's more of a reimagining, then, isn't it? I think the difference between the, the two versions of the game is Black Mesa sells sells the set pieces a lot better now. Um, I mean, set pieces are, are, are kind of quirky and fun to to watch in the ninety eight version, but it, it really sells and and it uses all modern techniques. So it's, it's just it's interesting to go through it. If you're a fan of the original Half Life, I highly recommend Black Mesa, even in its you know, slightly weird, you know, unfinished form because Zen's not in it. They, they haven't quite got round to that. Yeah, it's interesting. You wonder if either they're, you know, not not that fussed about doing it because they know that how people feel about Zen, or is it that it's even, you know, this project's already taken years and years and years. Uh, um, is it just that they actually want to make Zen good, which is going to take a lot more work than taking something which is already good? I, I, I think it's both. I honestly feel like... I, it would be a shame if now Valve, although it's under the green light thing, it would be a shame if Valve didn't pick this up in some way. And if, if they ever did do a, a a sequel to the Orange Box, actually include it within that. Because mm. I, I think a lot of people would get a, a real big kick out of it, just seeing a reimagining of what Half-Life... Because it, it does trace it, the fundamentals of Half-Life very closely. Mm. But like I say, it just, just sells, sells the ambition of what that game was trying to do back then. And, and kind of maybe gives you... An appreciation, it almost brought me back to what I probably felt what Half-Life was back then, back in 98, um, just in this modern day era context. So, Valve are renowned, and, and to their credit, for both being an amazing employer and also for picking, um, the, you know, the, since they began. So as I said in the intro, they, they've been using employees from the, the mod community. Um, and as they've gone along, like they employed the, the 
the people who were making Narbacular drop to make Portal and so on and so on. Um, one wonders if there are people involved in this who could, you know, get em employment at Valve or whether it's not considered a creative enough um, sort of... Uh, Vi you know, it's not their it's not their vision. It's not like they've come up with a particular idea. It's more of a fan worship project. I don't think a... there's any necessarily any limitations on creativity when it comes to hiring people, and it's nothing new in the industry. And of course, Valve have done it before, um, turning mods into retail releases and pay giving payments and such. But I mean, it's it's something that I remember Dice did quite. Uh, memorably with Desert Combat for Battlefield 1942. They later became the team that made Battlefield 2 because everyone agreed that the multiplayer for that was so much better. So mm. if if they've gone out of the way and created a game that is so much better than their classic game, then there's no reason why more senior members, perhaps, of that... I'm, I'm not entirely sure how many are on that, would would, mm. would get employed. There's no reason It's only the thought that... Actually, what they've done, you know, apart from changes like, you know, Darren's talking about with the, you know, the, the a fundamental change to the control and the look of a section, um, you know, it's it's hard for the people who worked on this to demonstrate real design talent by uh, only altering something which is already in existence. But, but yes, I, I don't think it's impossible either. I'd be interested um, to see if they picked up the team and made them the, you know, remake our old games team because... Boy, people would buy them, wouldn't they? That makes sort of really makes Half Life, well, this version of Half Life, feel like a genuine predecessor to Half Life Two. Yeah. It's got the same feeling of movement, where you know when you hold down Shift, it makes that noise where he's running, and it just makes it feel like those two games are actually connected now via by the same thread, as opposed to the completely different feelings of Half Life One and Half Life Two. Well, it's it's weird in a way because it almost makes Half Life Two now feel feel slightly dated mm. because yeah. it's that much better. I mean, it's it has a lot of the um a lot of the puzzles which are in Half Life One, such as going in the water and, and going through vents and stuff like that. Um, they are now exist in, in Black Mesa, but they've added barrels and stuff. So now you have to use a lot of the environmental stuff to navigate puzzles, which were fairly simple in in the original game, become that much more complex in, in Black Mesa because they've added yeah. all the Half Life Two elements. Back yeah, Half Life had Half -Life uh, the original had sort of um, scripted physics, didn't it? Whereas Half Life Two brought in Have actual physics. physics. Yeah. Mm. So, so I mean, so this is a mod, but Half Life is renowned for its its mods. I mean, this is just the the latest one of many in in a way. Well, Counter Strike, Team Fortress, um, obviously both still pretty big, still mm. getting released. Well, Team Fortress isn't still getting releases, but it's still getting bits released for it. Mm -hmm. um, it's recently just had a co-op mode added, I think. I played a lot of Day and Defeat back in the day. Yeah, yep. um, Storm in the Beach. It's it was yeah, it was great. Counter Strike, obviously, Global Offensive has recently come out. Um, it's still great. It's, right. It really is. It sort of Counter Strike now feels sort of fresh because it's so old. Like Call of Duty and Battlefield have all got these bars to fill up and XP bars and unlock this. Oh my God, numbers on the screen. Whereas Counter Strike just goes right. Just t ten dudes in a, in a level. If you're dead, you're out for the round, and uh, mm. yeah, just it, it punishes you really <laughs> like a mistress. Sadly, not I've the same game it used to be, but that's that's a whole no. other point. It's, uh, I think oh, yeah. I've played three rounds of Counter Strike. One once on a on my original 56k modem. Once the first time I got broadband, and once again recently on the XBLA demo. Um, oh, always killed horribly and without a clue what was going on. But uh, 
yeah, it's quite popular. And there was a, a there were countless mods, and we're not fully covering them here, as as it's obvious for, for obvious reasons. Yeah. They would deserve their own shows if we were to cover them. Um, natural selection was a, a really like insanely ambitious mod, also, wasn't it? Also, getting a new changed... release, I believe. I believe you can actually Halloween, yeah, yeah, you can actually pre-purchase a, a a new one. Is this a sequel? Yes. Yes. Uh, same you've got, team, or well, same, I believe it's the same probably team. Not actually, but. I believe it is the same team, and you've got Sven Co-op as well, which is one of the uh, first mods, and it's actually still getting updates now, which is kind of weird. Really? Yeah. And and there was an, <laughs> I played Sven Co-op for years. Yeah, it's still going oh, now, and weird. that is a brilliant game. And there's also a game, uh, a mod released for the original Half-Life, uh, released at the start of this year, because City of Dead or something like that. It got quite a lot of press at the start of the year, and that that's actually got released in 2012 and again we've touched on some of them briefly but we should certainly uh, give a line or two each to opposing force um november 1999 came out a year after half-life and um birthed gearbox and randy pitchford as a a independent development company um it was again. It was remarkable at the time, and I remember some people actually saying, people who already had PCs, saying Opposing Force is actually possibly better than Half Life. Now, I think time has possibly suggested that 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 isn't the case, or it's certainly not as iconic. But it, I remember, I haven't been back to it. Um, can you download it? I know Half Life yeah. Source yeah. is free mm-hmm. to play, but yeah. is it free still? I don't Ooh. think it's free. Okay. I think it is. Uh... You know, you, you buy it in a, in a Half-Life pack for a quid at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How Get don't you these. own it now if you have Steam? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't actually own it. Um, wow, that's crazy. I, no, my disc is long gone. But um, yes, so it famously told the the story of the Half-Life game from the point of view of Shepard, one of the, not not out of Mass Effect, another Shepard. Uh, Adrian Shepard. Adrian, from, uh, yeah, the point of view of one of the soldiers. Uh, and entertainingly, rather than G-Man sightings, although, are there still some G-Man sightings in it? I'm not yeah. sure. There yeah, is, there's, yeah. One, there's one or two, yeah. Not like many. the very start. Actually. But more excitingly, even than that, there are Freeman sightings. <laughs> Which is weird, because in Half-Life 2, you never, you never leave... Freeman's body. No. There's no, there's no expansion by Valve where you play as Alex and you see Freeman running around. No. So when I booted up Blue Shift or Opposing Force and you, you're in a tram, a different sort of cabin tra- tram ride at the start, mm. you're like, "There's Freeman!" Like I haven't seen him for years. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, <laughs> I remember it being more combat heavy, which made sense. But the combat, again, for the time, like, as I say, the AI now uh, is often a little comical. Um, but at the time, it was quite impressive with enemy soldiers running for cover, whereas up to this point, uh, you know, there'd been a lot of um, sort of, yeah, just a lack of intelligence um, with whether it be pig cops in Duke Nukem or, or demons in Doom. Um, so a, a greater focus on combat was you know, seemed a sensible idea at the time. Yeah, the AI in Half-Life is that and Halo. They're, they're the two games that made me go, like, that remind me of how good AI can be for that time. It's like, oh my god, the, the AI in Half-Life's amazing. But Half-Life 2 didn't have that for me, which is a bit of a shame. I didn't, feel, I didn't feel like the Combine were as impressive as the Mercenaries. So when you get to finally play as a Mercenary in in um, Opposing Force, you're like, yeah, this is, this is going on. They, they've updated all the models. You've got like a bigger sort of M4 carbine assault rifle now and I, I loved it and it, you know you didn't have the crowbar you had a big chunky wrench <laughs> that you can smack boxes with but no I, I played it a little bit um after completing the other games um purely just just to check it out and so I'm only about an hour into it oh. and um what, what I will say is that 
for the longest time, I thought I thought Opposing Force was just a multiplayer um, oh. add-on. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, this was way back when. But um, <laughs> so like, as and when I got my my PC, then I you know, realised it was actually something more significant. It does sound the title, although obviously all the titles are related to scientific um, theory or or uh, what's the word things. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> but Opposing Force, Opposing Force does make it sound like a um, yeah, yeah. A, a multiplayer. But um. Actually, going back and now and, and moving on to to Blue Shift, um, playing those both, and actually I had a massive problem with Blue Shift, which is uh, pretty early on in the game. You get into this lift with two scientists, and every time I got in there, the lift would crash, and the two scientists would just explode. Um, for no, like it, it clearly the game code is just having a, a bit of a, a bad day, and I'd like I uninstalled it, reinstalled it, and it's only about forty five minutes into the game. And it did second It's only about so I, three I hours yeah. long, I think, Blue Shift. So I haven't seen Beyond 45 Minutes of Game because it doesn't want me to do so. But um, what is funny, actually, and we'll talk about Blue Shift in a minute, but seeing this, because they, they call it, other people call it um, Half-Life 1 series. So they, they count this into the canon somewhat. Yeah, even though these um, are, we should, again, stress, the, all the add-ons were by Gearbox. Yeah, they were. Um, but And it, it's weird because you, you look at Valve and you look at Half-Life, and it's legendary how long it takes them to seemingly mm. get their 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 you know a, an idea together and actually get it out there for the general public's consumption. And who knows what the hell is happening with Half Life Three? But just to see like you know a year later that there was this expansion, and then a couple of years after that, three years after that, there was a blue shift that finally made it there. Um, and you know it is bigger than just Half Life, and a company which are you know, very reluctant to actually expand on any of their universes outside of Left 4 Dead almost a year later. So it just uh, playing it now is like this, I guess this makes sense. And let's like, say you see sightings of different people within the the uh, the facility, and you'll see scientists that you knew from the first from playing um, uh, feet creeping. So uh, it it's it's well worth going and playing this stuff if you're a fan of Half Life One as a whole. But uh, whether they'll both work. To, you know, to a satisfied fraction. Even though I, I was, uh, I was extremely excited for Blue Shift, and even though I was a, mm. as a, as a Dreamcast uh, loving Dreamcast owner, um, I did, uh, I was hoping, uh, I was pleased that it came out on the PC, in the end, because I didn't want to have to spend, you know, thirty five quid on the Half Life Dreamcast version when I already owned it on the PC. Um, but I did want to play Blue Shift, so it was actually it worked out well for me that it was canned the, the dc version was officially canned although as i say you can play it if you want um but then i played blue shift on the pc and it was a massive damp squib really easily the crappiest add-on that i played um because i didn't play decay from 2001 um it's short it ends suddenly and there's nothing memorable about it yeah it just seems like they got it just felt like to me like they just got halfway through it, and it was just like, ah. Oh. Yeah. I think it was just—it <laughs> was just to have a you know exclusive Dreamcast content on the box to try and get massive Half-Life fans to buy that version. I think that's mm. all it existed for. Possibly the same with Decay, which they made for the PS2 version, which was a co-op um, expansion, which did also end up coming out on PC. I, I appreciate them for for fleshing out some more of the facility. So you know, you've seen Freeman go through. The, the whole facility and doing the tram ride. You do the same thing in Blue Shift. You you have a tram ride, but instead of going to the level that Freedom went to, you go to a different security level, uh, mainly obviously the police headquarters, and you suit up. So it, it's just it adds a little bit more kind of layers to what that facility is and how big that facility is. But beyond that, yeah, Blue Shift. You know, the, the forty five minutes it allowed me to play was a bit like okay, just kind of going through the motions. Uh, opposing forces. I played that for a couple of hours, and and yeah, actually. 
I really liked the change of uh, pace of the combat, um, and it felt like you were going into this hostile situation. They set it up really well at the start. Uh, it's got a great opening uh, sequence. It's interesting because um, I have completely different feelings on those two games to everyone else. Really? Yeah, it's I mean, Blue Shift wasn't very good. That's that's not a surprise, but I do have one that's great memory. <laughs> I have one great memory of Blue Shift, and that was watching. Um, my best friend's brother got it for his Christmas gift or his birthday present. I can't quite remember which. And I remember we were stood behind him as he was playing it, and he, he had his headphones on, but we could, you know, we could hear it through the speakers at the same time. And he smashed a crate, and there was a hound eye behind it, fully charged. <laughs> and never in my life have I ever seen anyone jump like that. It was amazing. We must have laughed for a good hour at his expense, and he. I'm pretty sure he let out a few tears. Um, and opposing force. Uh, it was actually the Christmas present I wanted the most that year, mm. and I ended up getting two copies of Quake Three and a copy of Unreal Tournament. So some oh. there was obviously a, error. A, a an error there. So I, I ended up getting it in the end, but as it turned out, Unreal Tournament and Quake Three were pretty fantastic. So mm. going from them to like the slow paced, over combat heavy single player opposing force didn't really do a whole lot for me. I mean, I completed it, but it was just it didn't excite me like Half-Life did. Yeah. Half-Life Decay isn't great. Um, the so- at the Sonic Mall on Twitter, um, Simon, he-, he sent me a copy of the PS2 version of Half-Life, which I'm very grateful for. And I, I did check it out. You can play it out, you can play it on your own, which is weird because you can sort of, you play it on your own, but it spawns both Colette Green, Dr. Colette Green and Dr. Gina Cross into the world and the other one just mm. sort of stands there and you're like, Great. It's funny, they, they obviously felt the need, even though it was Gearbox, um, on behalf of Valve, to redress the balance that there are no women in Half-Life whatsoever. <laughs> so they, they made both uh, playable characters in this in this add-on female. And they, they feel like just sort of like fan-made levels for co-op use, where you both press two buttons at once instead of one button. It's not it's not great. Uh, but it's, you know, it's nice to have more peripheral stuff around the, you know, the Lambda sort of core, or the Lambda, you know, the Black Mesa... Um, given that that was Gearbox perhaps they considered that uh, add-on girlfriend mode (laughs) (laughs) it's been going on for years and there's also a thing called Half-Life Uplink which was a second demo they released and yeah it was a a genius move because it's like here's part of the the facility you haven't seen download the demo people who even bought the game downloaded the demo and spread the word it was a stroke of genius yeah it's about about 45 minutes long if that maybe it's about the same length as Blue Shift then. Yeah, really. it was, that was really cool, <laughs> Uplink. I remember that, yeah. It was little bits of um, the game that they'd kind of cut out, but then bolted back together, I believe. Hmm. So, yeah, very cool. It's about time we heard from our beloved Forumites over at canerince.com slash forum. A brief one to start with from Wizard of Odd. He says, I replayed Half-Life quite recently. It hasn't aged that well. Delby 2K. I came to the original Half-Life quite late, and while I enjoyed it, I suspect I may not see it in the same form of glowing light as everyone else may. Anyway, for the most part, this is a great, if linear, adventure to play through that takes in a good set of locations and interesting moments and puts them all together for a compulsive whole. The odd thing is that I am not sure if I ever found it thrilling or fantastically brilliant, but I did enjoy my time with it enough to get to Zen. Not past it, because (laughs) I arrived at one section where I had no idea where I was to go or what I needed to do, but at least to it. It all felt a little like a solid thriller, not one that personally feels like a masterpiece, go down corridor, shoot, void, repeat, but something that you can easily put your time into and come out feeling very satisfied. So at least we are hearing from some people who you know, came to it late, and, and I think it is fair to say that amongst those people the, the, the level of praise is lower than it is from those people who played it back in the day. 
Understandably. Dom's Beard says, I'd been really excited about it at launch, but not having a gaming PC in those days, I was hoping for a Dreamcast port. I remember reading about the DC version in 2000 with its extra levels and improved graphics and was checking every mag every month to get a release date. Then it gets cancelled. Fast forward eight years, I picked up a copy for 99p in a charity shop. A brilliant, memorable opening section, and as a non-FPS fan, it was nice to solve problems without firing X amount of bullets into it. I would recommend anyone to play the original, as it is one of the games that set new trends and ideas in place that are still commonplace today. Don't care much for the story, to be honest, and I can never decide whether I think the end is brilliant or a complete joke. Magic Joe F says, Half-Life is one of the most memorable gaming experiences I've ever had. What made it particularly special was it all came as such a surprise. As a debut for Valve, there wasn't much pre-release hype. All I heard was that I should definitely play it. Half-Life really set the bar for environmental storytelling, particularly in an FPS, something Valve still excel at today. It wasn't just a series of maps that you ran around in to shoot things, find some keys and open doors to the next level. Black Mesa was a place where something was happening and I was witnessing it, and more importantly, taking part. I will never forget fighting the soldiers for the first time. I'd never played against enemy AI like it before. Flushing me out using grenades, flanking and taking cover, their crackly voices still ring clearly in my ears to this day. Baker's 12 I've played through Half-Life more than any other game, I think. It's a perfect storm of gameplay, design, sound, atmosphere, set pieces and wonder. From the resonance cascade to the G-Man's final speech, perfection. I s Really? <laughs> <laughs> you must have the version where you can skip Zen. Um, <laughs> I still am amazed that a game that has you walk down a lot of grey corridors and rooms is full of so much excitement. It's like an old school Spielberg film in game form. Mike Leddy 83 finally from the forum. The initial segments of the game give a very grounded atmosphere that felt distinct in a time where pigs with shotguns was the norm. The Area 51 angle set a, a level of intrigue that would persist for the duration of the game, and the introduction of enemies would never fail to surprise, quite often changing the dynamics of the game completely. The introduction of the Marines was a huge revelation. The gameplay itself pushed the envelope in so many directions and rarely stepped in the wrong direction. The AI, especially for the Marines, was well ahead of its time. The puzzles could be deemed in most cases to show what a mature game should be able to provide besides simply blood and gore. The selection of weapons were all quite unique, quite unique, and always fun to play with, the, uh, with and the explosion sounds and general sound effects just felt so meaty and satisfying. Most of all, I'm always keen to speak of how well the environments gel together as a single consistent virtual world. There are rarely, if ever, any real inconsistencies, and the sense of being in this world is paramount to the enjoyment of the game. Perhaps the lack of a speaking protagonist helps a little too. The fact it has translated so well to the recent Black Mesa without feeling dated is a testament to the original level design and a perfect introduction to a company that has somehow managed to continue making games to this absurdly high standard. And uh, three word reviews, mostly from Twitter, but also the odd one from here and there and elsewhere. Sea Thief UK says, trend-setting narrative. Snaky David, shame about Zen. Fury83 says, truly great legend. Dom's Beard says, thinking person's shooter. Countstech says, new gaming era. Magic Joe F, environmental storytelling milestone. Baker's 12, pure gaming nirvana. Barry Alexander Martin, God bless Crowbar. Dave Smith, genre changing game. The lovely Ryan Astley, ultimate gaming standard. Aaron Clark, 
shy scientist adventure. Oh, I've got this one. This one hurts. This is so wrong. Intel Rock 27 says, where gaming began. Now, I'm sorry, Intel Rock, but I think there's a few developers who might have something to say about that. <laughs> and a few gamers. Yeah, slappy hands. No, but uh, it, he, yes, in three words, we understand what he's getting at. And Wawonjit says, best game in intro. <laughs> Widget. Wawonjit. I know. Love it. Wawonjit, indeed. So, on then to our own summarizations, starting with Tony Atkins. Um, my opinion really hasn't changed since I played it way back in 2002, which is. And certainly now I can, I can appreciate all the, the fantastic elements, such as, I think we're all going to bring up the, the way it, the, the environments um, blend with the storytelling and how that was a, a re- revolutionary back then. Um, and, you know, in some respects, it, it's, it still outperforms a few games, which I, I, I could list off now, uh, that don't follow the same tra- traits and feel broken. Well, not broken, but feel lacking because of it. Um, but I can't help but thinking the same way I felt back in 2002, that the, t- the two thirds of the game aren't that great, <laughs> and that's that makes it sound really harsh because I I think everything that they achieved is far greater than how it plays. But going back to it now, I it it was a fun adventure, but I wasn't blown away by it in gaming terms. But for everything that it achieved and the way that it's changed gaming in the future, I can't help but say yes. Everybody needs to sit here and play Half Life. Um, just to, to just to understand the evolution of gaming, and a lot of that stuff still stands up now, and like I say, still puts other gaming, uh, other gaming games, other games <laughs> to to um, to shame. So um, a bit of a mixed bag going back to it now, but I I still enjoyed um, playing through it again uh, this many years later. But I would say um, if you've not played Half Life before, give it a go because it, it's still actually the, the combat itself is still really good fun apart from some of the later game stuff and if you want a, a, another extra layer then then stick on black mesa because i think that that takes what they were trying to achieve with with half-life one back in, in 1998 and kind of brings it to a, a more modern audience but it it is bear in mind it is a different game from half-life um it's not just a an hd remake they they try something slightly different with it and it'll probably make a better game but um yeah so great fantastic legacy but if you're going back to it now, it, it doesn't play as, as good as your mind's eye probably remembers it does. Darren Goggles. <laughs> yeah, Half-Life is one of my favourite games of all time. Um, I know we sort of we picked it apart this episode, but that's that's what we do. Like We go back to these games and we see you know, what's good and what's bad about them now. Um, it, it has got its problems and you know we, we specified them, but it still holds a special place for me because it, it just opened up a whole new a whole new world of games like it's ridiculous that Half-Life spawned into Counter-Strike like we mentioned all these mods and mm-hmm. just so much stuff around it like I hadn't really got into games that much before like I wanted to just soak up all the details from this world and it didn't, doesn't really give you a lot but everything it gave you like Opposing Force and Blue Shift I just wanted to just get in there and see what's going on um, I'd like to see I'd like to see Black Mesa Source as an official product, uh, like a retail product, but with a Halo-style combat anniversary thing where you, you flick back and forth between time because it'd be great to see those two side by side and, you know, working in tandem just just to truly understand how much love and passion's gone into Black Mesa Source. 
it's um yeah it's it's just a fantastic experience even today i still think it's quite unique the the intro sets the tone of you know what's going on mm-hmm. from the from the tram ride to the resonance cascade and a lot of games have learned from that since like bioshock's got a similar thing where you're in the in the bathosphere in in rapture and even dishonored which is out you know this week or the week just gone has the same sort of thing where it plonks you in a vehicle and you're looking around going this is this is the world and it's it's influenced a lot of games since and it's um yeah it's a it's a landmark in gaming despite its um aging flaws if there had been podcasts in the year 2000 or 2001 whenever it was i played it and uh and i'd been podcasting um i would have said i just paid over a thousand pounds to play this game and i wasn't i don't feel like i was ripped off in 2012 um the the, the yeah times have changed and playing through it again has been a little disappointing um it still has clever puzzles there's still some intelligent design in there um some amazing sound effects some cool humor some fine set pieces uh some cool enemies definitely some cool enemy design um and it one cannot understate how much new stuff it brought and what a founding it was for valve but things that show up to me now in this playthrough uh the that revolutionary ai uh is no longer worth anything really it's the 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 actual moment to moment shooting is fairly comical pretty much you know standing and pointing and shooting until things fall over um a curious lack of atmosphere which i was i'm genuinely a little bit heartbroken by because i remember the atmosphere of black mesa being extraordinary this in, in, incredible immersion um that i was locked into for for the week or 10 days or whatever that i was playing it for that not sure why it's gone so badly why i mean the you know i i still love the sound the environmental sound's still good but um it all feels a little bit spread out spread thin um large expanses of area with not so much to see and do in um lots of death reload death reload quick save insta deaths trial and error gameplay some really awkward first person platforming and then there's zen uh just to put the icing on the cake so um I d- you know i don't like um, one of the reasons we're finishing with carl is because i know he's going to be more positive than me and it gives me no pleasure to have gone back to half-life to find that i found it a little bit boring and that genuinely makes me a bit sad because you know i i still love valve i still love I'm, a, you know, giving away the next Half-Life. I I adore Half-Life 2. It'd be inter- I have played that through recently and I still think it's a masterpiece. There do seem to be two camps, the people who adore Half-Life 1 and the people who adore Half-Life 2. Um, I'm not sure why that is. Perhaps we'll work it out. Um, but this, unfortunately, while still clearly important, has aged to a point that I wouldn't really recommend that you play it now. So play Black Mesa Source. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's quite a different experience, but yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've always said this, and I will continue to say this. The whole idea of Kane and Rinse is to look at it from two angles. Is this is the game that we're talking about this week still playable by today's standards? And how is you know where does it sit within context of, of the impact it had on the industry or what it was like back then mm, when our memories exactly. of it? Um, and you know that's that's quite a, I was a unique. That's that's something I. <laughs> We pride ourselves on this podcast, so like like you, Leon, it gives me you know 
no pleasure to go back and say, oh, it's lost some of the, the original aspects which were there, you know, apparent then. But hopefully we got across that they were, you know, apparent, you know, were very important. Absolutely. Um, and it is still fundamentally playable. It's not like a game that's oh, yeah. like, you yeah. know, I didn't hate it. Like I hated going back to Max Payne. That, that was, you know, that was a painful experience, pardon the pun. But Half-Life 2 was just just slightly <laughs> dull. Um, and and that, that, was, that was painful enough because I, because I do love... You know, I do love what Valve do so much, and I loved the game originally so much that it was, it wasn't, it didn't feel good to be going. Mm, this is a little bit dull. I think. But you can appreciate the foundations which they laid. Oh God, with absolutely, series. yeah, yeah, totally. So let's finish with Carl. Half Life's an interesting one. Um, I've always been incredibly vocal on my feelings towards Half Life, and how I've always said that for me it is the greatest game ever made. My opinion has not changed, but recommending people to go back to it, Half-Life's a special game for me. Now, I have so many memories involved in Half-Life, invested in that game, that no matter how many times I play that game, even today, I can go back section to section and relive those great memories I had then. Someone going in fresh now wouldn't get that. They would see the... The flaws in this game, um, we've drawn attention to so many of them now, uh, notably the AI. At the time it was incredible, now not so much, but I, for me, th there's something where I overlook that. There's Everyone always has a game that no matter how aged it's become, they can go back and enjoy it. Absolutely. More um, than one, I would suggest. Yes, most people, uh, yeah. absolutely. And for me, it, it's Half-Life. Not just because I enjoyed the game, not just because I adored the environment, not even because of the great mods that came. I mean, I had a long history of, of Counter-Strike. I played it for years at a high level. And again, that, that to me is something that I'll never forget, and it's always something that is attached to Half-Life as a game. But there's also the side things as... As I mentioned, it came with Worldcraft, and that pushed me into making environments in 3D uh, for the for the first time. And I still do that today. And that, this is 14 years on. And no matter what I'm making now, I draw it back to what I did then. Half-Life is the basis, the... The, the sheer definition of what is good or bad in what I design now when I make something. Because I'll always remember back on those set pieces and think, I want what I experienced there for the first time for someone to be what they experienced for the first time now. Uh, I said that the opening sequence on the, on the tram line was my greatest gaming moment of all time. And... And it is. that It's something that I'll never forget. It's like reading the greatest book that you've ever read. It's not read even a game time. at that point. <laughs> it, exactly. And <laughs> it, it goes beyond being a game at that point. It becomes something truly special. It's like it's like when you, you know, you recall your greatest book, which, you know, for me, I'm always thinking back to To Kill a Mockingbird. It, it's just iconic with my being. And it's like my favourite ever film, which I drew attention to again in this, which is Blade Runner. And... and it Half-Life doesn't... We've mentioned before, you know, Gargles has mentioned the epic shelf, and this is above that for me. This is a game that stands on its own. Oh no, it, we've got to invent a new shelf. Oh it's it, 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 <laughs> go, it goes beyond that. It is... Um, shelf. It, it, it's just the great... It, it's just... <laughs> 
the greatest. But on that, I can't recommend someone going into it for the first time. I know that. So it's, it, it's a different. It's almost one. a different. You're almost um, judging it by a different standard at this point because you're admitting that the game is not like the greatest game to play in 2012. But it, it's not. But, but I can forgive those errors because yeah, by section well, by section, exactly. Than, yeah. My memories go beyond. It, it doesn't hold up like something like we, we we mentioned on the Halo show that ten years after its release, that game still at its core holds up. Yeah, and there are much older games than Half Life that hold up in pure gameplay terms, whether it be Indeed. Bubble Bobble or Rainbow Islands or you know something like that. In the in the, the in the sheer simplicity of the game, Pac-Man. what Half Life did will never be forgotten. However. I'm looking forward to talking about Half-Life 2 um, because it's probably more divisive than Half-Life. But anyway, that's for a month's time. Speaking of which, you can play along with Kane and Rince, Volume 2, starting next week with Asura's Wrath. I'd better get playing. Cast of Illusion, Quackshot, and World of Illusion following that. Then the 2012 Syndicate. Then it's back to Half-Life 2. Cave Story after that. Binary Domain, Pac-Man Championship Edition DX with... Joystick Sinan Kuba. You can hear him now on the Joystick Podcast, I believe. Half-Life 2, Episodes 1 and 2 get their own show before Akami. Assuming the HD version is still on the way. It's all gone a bit quiet. Uh, Shenmue's 1 and 2 should be interesting, possibly controversial. And in the new year, we're looking at doing shows with uh, the developers of Applejack 1 and 2 and Papo and Joe. The month-by-month schedule can be found on the blog. And of course the blog can be found at canorince.com. There you'll find the Quick Rinse videos, uh, which can also be found on the YouTube channel. We can be found on Twitter, which is at canorince, Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash canorince, and of course you can send us a good old-fashioned email, which is canorince at gmail.com. And as ever, your support for the show via iTunes subscriptions, reviews and ratings is massively appreciated. Thanks to Rob. Mr. Hunting for Weasels, who went back for some reason, his his review of the show was even though it was glowingly positive, um, was showing us two stars. Apparently that was an error. He has now gone back and made it a five star review, like all the best ones. So thanks for that. Join the CNR community and have your say at canorince.com/forum. Until next time, it just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony Atkins, Carl Moon and Darren Gargett and leave you with some of that fine atmospheric Half-Life music. Bye.